All right, people, you guys know what it is. It's the one and the only American Cholo podcast broadcasting live and direct to you from North Hollywood, California. My name is Gil, and I am the American Cholo. Of course, I got the co-host in the building. That's right, that's right. I'm back, and we got a good one for today. We, we, oh, I, th- I think we always have one, but this, yeah, yeah but this, this, this is a real good one. This, this, is, this is a great one right yeah, here, man. Yeah. Let, let, let's go down memory lane. Let's yeah, talk some real stuff. Let me, let me introduce this gentleman here, and he is a gentleman, get by on, the way. Get on it. Our next guest is a man who was raised in the South during segregation and knows, knows too well how bad it really was. He's a Vietnam vet. He's a postman for one of Detroit's most dangerous areas. He is also the father of one of the world's most famous rappers, Snoop Dogg. Please give a warm welcome to the one and only Papa Snoop. That's yeah, right, that's right. What's up, Papa? What's, yeah. what's, what's, what's good, Papa Snoop? I'm yeah, good, man. Yeah, that's I'm right, good. That's right. uh, thank you for coming over here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate the love, man. So let's just jump right into it, man. Where were you born and raised? I was born in a small town, Magnolia, Mississippi, uh, four miles from Macomb, 45 minutes from New Orleans. That's the very bottom of Mississippi, 1949. So is that how close Mississippi is to New Orleans? Yeah, four to five minutes. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's yeah, not bad. yeah. I'm, I'm, but I'm at the very bottom, like eight miles. There's Louisiana right there. Another another four to five minutes. You in New Orleans? Really? Yeah. So now you know this was a whole different era. You know, you were born in what year again? 1949. 1949. So when you were like a well, let me ask you this: When did you first start seeing as a young African American boy that? Life was different for you than everybody else or the white people in, in, in well, Mississippi. I, I started seeing it because my dad had a landscaping business, and I, I really came from money. All my dad's uh, brothers and sisters had their own business. Mm-hmm. So my dad had a landscaping business. His sister and her husband, they had a McDerry. My auntie had a store. My other aunties were piano teachers and choir directors and voice coaches. So my, by me, my dad had a landscaping business. We worked for all the rich white people, ex-slave owners, daughters, and sons, right? Mm-hmm. They had these, wow. they had these Literally. Big, Literally, they had these big, wow. huge houses. Houses. My dad took me my first landscape job. I was six years old. Cause back then, people started started working. You started working early as a kid. Mm-hmm. You talk about the fifties, okay? So that being said, I started seeing the difference between how white people live and how how we lived in, in my neighborhood. Yeah, I, mean, I came from a decent house, but back then, most blacks was poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we didn't have we didn't have city water. Everybody either had a, a well, or either a pump, okay. We had a pump. We'd go out there, you start it up, had an wow. engine on it. And once the pressure got up, then you pump it like this. Wasn't no bathrooms back then. We all had outhouses. You took a bath in a number three tent tub. Okay? Damn. And so I came from a family of 12, six boys and six girls. But back then, wasn't no natural gas. Wasn't no TV. TV came out in 1948, the year before I was born. We got our first TV in 1957, but we didn't have time to watch because my dad was a workaholic. Okay? So my mom was a housewife. So back then, uh, I was fortunate because my dad had a landscaping business. I worked a whole week with my dad set up some down. I only got 25 bucks. And I knew not to ask my dad for no more money because the first thing he was going to tell me, you're up under my roof, I'm feeding you, take what I give you. Sir. But back then, everything was cheap. You know, a, a pack of cigarettes cost $25. I mean, 25 cents. Oh, 25, 25 cents. Gas, like 17 cents a gallon. Wow. Uh, a hamburger, 25 cents. So my dad told me how to handle the money. Okay, you take $5 mm-hmm. for yourself. Divide the other 20 up and save it, put it in a shoebox or a cookie jar or whatever. So back then, it was all, they had bathrooms that had white in color. Mm-hmm. Uh, water fountains were white in color. Back then, you couldn't look at a white woman if she was black. Prime example, Emmett Till, came down from Chicago, 1955. I was six years old. Back then, everybody had radios. So you got the ba- basketball game on radio, baseball game, football game. I think Jackie Robinson had came along. Will Chamberlain, I mean, uh, uh, Bill Russell came along in 1957. Will Chamberlain came along in 1959. They kind of broke, broke the color, color barrier. Mm-hmm. But they were still being called niggas and stuff. 
even if they, if they was good. Give an example, Pratt, uh, Bill, Bill, I mean, uh, Bill Russell stayed in Cape Cod, and he won the first. He won eight championships in a row. And, and the white, Celtics, white, right? For people right, that know who Bill Russell is. Right, they didn't start winning until Red Orbeck drafted them. Red Orbeck didn't see no color, okay? Uh, Vince Lombardi didn't see no color. I knew Al Davis personally. He started going down south drafting black players from the swag. Drowning, Jackson State, and everything. And he was all about winning. So back then, like I said, you couldn't go to a restaurant. You couldn't stay in the hotel. Okay? And at the end of the day, man, if you went to a, a, a hamburger stand, you ordered at the front, but you gave your food at the back door. Wow. That's how it was back then. And at the time, did you think it was just normal? Did you ever question it? Ask your daddy, like, hey, daddy, why do we have to yeah, go here? Yeah, I questioned it. I'm going to tell you why. I, I, I was hearing my daddy say, yeah, I stand those, sir. That was mandatory down south if he was black. He said, yes, or not, so no such to the white man. And I wonder why do we have to say it? Well, all, all the white kids, Don't the white to. people that my dad worked for, their kids would call my dad William. Or we had to call it, they, they, their mom's dad, Mr. and Mrs. So I, I couldn't comprehend that. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to figure out why. I mean, what's the difference between them and us? So that, that really, really resonated on me that why, the, why are they better than us and they making money off us because back then in Mississippi it was all cotton. White people made their money on cotton. They had plantations. Back then they had sharecroppers. Matter of fact, give you an example. I went to my first class reunion in 1988. A bunch of my classmates, I never knew where they lived at. They lived in the country. I lived in town, right? So one of my classmates said to me, she's a, she's a, he said, Vernon, was, was you are rich? That's why, that's why, that's not one rich. I, I, my, my dad, we had a, had, a, had a landscape business. They said, well, you go to Sousa school every day, we went around. And I told him, I swear, here's the deal. All the white people work for their kids our age, right? They go down to New Orleans. They had a store called Godshaw on Canal Street. Buy their kids a suit. Their kids to my size. They, they wear it one time to give it to us. So we was always clean. Okay, so I didn't realize they were sharecroppers. If you, know, if you don't know what sharecropping is, the sand of the white man's land, when they said, when they said 40 acres on the mule, they meant that. The white man had for you. He would give you 40 acres on the mule. You, 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 you planted this food. He got most of the money. He gave you the crumbs. So they made their money off cotton. Okay? And back then, man, it wasn't done for them to kill a black guy like it was nothing. They used to have night riders to ride through my neighborhood. Night riders were just like this. Back in the day, all the smart black people kept the kids on, on, on the back porch when they got dark. Right? So white, you have, you have white boys in the truck, three in the front, four in the back, with baseball bats, chains, and guns. They had a chase car behind them. Six white boys in it. They would ride down through these country roads, and the first black they sing, if you didn't haul ass, you was gone. Mm-hmm. So, you know about Emmett Till, Mega Everest, all the guys got killed. Back then, it was way more than that. But it wasn't publicized. Right. So, that's the kind of shit we had to go through, man. Damn. And did, uh, were your grandparents alive at this time? Yeah, but uh, I didn't know my, 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 my dad's mother and father did passed on. My, mom, my mom's people, my grandfather, he, he died when I was eight. And my grandmother died, his wife died when I was 20. But they came in and came in on, on the TLN slavery. Back then, people told stories. You know, you go to somebody's house, all, all these old people, and the first thing they would tell us is two people you got to, you, you got to be uh, beware of, the white man and the Jews. Don't trust them, period. They preached that to us, man, right? From so, the jump. From the jump. Come to find out my, my mom's mom, her first husband, a bunch of a lot of black guys back then, they, they were really lose their lives in the bow down to the white man. Her husband got hung because he was one of the black guys that was rebellious. So she got married to my other grandfather. 
And the stories they would tell us, man, about the KKK, how all that got stuff got started. What happened was a bunch of white boys say, okay, let's get these niggas. Let's get some white sheets in the hood, cut the eyes out of the nose, and go through their neighborhoods. And come to find out, most of them was doctors, lawyers, and judges. Wow. But you couldn't see their face. You feel what I'm saying? Educated people. It's right. So, but I come to find out, I began to distinguish the difference between the rich white people and the, and the poor white man. The rich white people, if they seen you as black and you was trying to be somebody, like my dad, I had gravy. They, they loved my dad, okay? But, but the poor white people, the, white, the rich white people would pay them to blow up our churches. Every church in my neighborhood was blown up, period. Give an example, 1963, we had just came back from church because that's all we had in my hometown, going to church, playing baseball. They had juke joints back then, but I was too young to go to them. So what happened was, man, is that back then, man, we, did, we didn't have no TVs. We didn't have the, the luxury these kids got nowadays. No air conditioning. We, no, I grew up with fans. The first, I never forget the first television we got. It, was, it wasn't that big, right? It was that you had to put an antenna on the outside, right? Say, for instance, you and you and me watching TV. I was saying, you outside or you outside. I took TV. You saw it turning the antenna. Hey, man, go back to the right. Okay, go back to the left. Once you got it right, you still had to, had to stick your face right in front of that TV. It was so damn fuzzy, you couldn't see shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But that's how it was back then, man. A lot of people couldn't afford the TV. They had radios, man. Now, how was uh, how was you and your siblings? Do you all, I mean... Those were obviously some of the you know worst times in American history prior right. to slavery. Right. But did you have good times with your parents, with your ki- with your oh, brothers yeah. and sisters, your siblings? Oh yeah, but, yeah. But here's the deal: we, we made the best out of a bad situation. I had to go to church. I had to go to Bible study. I had to go to prayer meeting. I had to go to conference. Church. It was mandatory that you wore a suit. Mm-hmm. I look at kids nowadays. Down west, who's the church? Back then, oh, no. man, if you had one suit, you would have that one suit to church every time you went to church. Okay. It was, it was very important. Very, very important. But back then. People taught the kids values. Back then, people, Stephens and everybody who had a child, my dad and mom molded. They, back then, people molded and shaped their kids right. to, to where, once you finish high school, leave home. My family migrated to California. Most people in my neighborhood went to Chicago, but they had better jobs. They had, uh, they had, uh, they had, uh, they had uh, uh, the meatpacking plant in Chicago, Oscar Myers, Campbell Soup in, in Chicago. They had the steel mills in Gary Manana. Back then, they was making car and steel. Okay. Versus the way they make cars now. So everybody would go to Chicago. They all go, I never get what my dad told me. You always come back in, back home in that brand new car. My dad never had a, had a house, though, because my uncle, he built a house. He built a house. My dad ne- never had a car, though. At, at 9 o'clock at night, the lights went out. What, like I said, we had a TV where we couldn't watch it. Mm-hmm. So that being said, when they would come home in these big cars, the first time my dad would tell me, he said, well, when they get back to Chicago, they're going to be afraid to go to the mailbox. I was dead or white. He's called, they're going to have a stack of bills. He said, I ain't got no bills. And I, I didn't see it then. I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm looking at the cars, man. I'm, the, back then, they had big cars, Cadillacs and, and Oldsmobiles and 98. They was long. They was, man. If I was, yeah, they had real cars. But they, had, but they, not, they weren't cars. They were automobiles. Yes, right. Okay. Wow. They was fast back then, big engines and stuff. Yep. So my dad would always tell me, don't look at what, what a person's driving. He said, I know, he said, I know when they get back to Chicago, they ain't got no damn money. It was the people who stayed down south who had the money. But they didn't spend nothing. Think about it, no car, no. Back then, yep. I, my dad didn't, they didn't know what a, a mortgage was. Wasn't no credit check back then. It was about having a name. Okay, my dad's name, William Bernardo. Oh, that's William's kid. Give me the thing you want. But if he had a bad name, they weren't gonna give you shit. Wow. 
Okay, this is how it went. It, it was it was on like almost like on street code and name. Yeah. If you if your if your name's no good, we ain't giving you nothing. We ain't giving you shit. Right. Just that simple, man. So let's let's push forward a little bit. Let's go into your into your high school years. What are you doing in high school? Are you going to school? Are you getting educated? Or are you no, it was, it, with your dad? It was military. It was military with school. I left uh, Mississippi in 1966, moved to San Francisco, did my last year of high school in Frisco, graduated. Why did you guys, why did you end up going to San Francisco? Because my, my, my dad's sister lived out there. Okay. And, and uh, my, my dad's people moved to the West Coast. They was in Frisco, Sacramento, and Oroville. My, my older brothers and sisters, they moved, <coughs> they moved to Long Beach. All right. So when I finished high school, I turned 18 years old. Back then, it was in your draft court. Okay, but we sent you a draft court. Okay, you was eligible for the draft. Mm-hmm. Then they would write you a letter and tell you because during that time the Vietnam War was red hot. Yes. Okay, this just this this is just before I got drafted in January six to eight. This is just before the Tet Offenses, right? Get my draft court. I go down to the, to the draft office. I was it was one A, four F and one Y. It was one A, you was gone. That means you was in good health. Four F four F and one Y. You had, you had a medical condition, a football injury, you weren't going nowhere. Mm-hmm. I was 1A, so I got, I get drafted for the Fort Lewis twice. I'm 18 years old. Go through basic. Finish uh, Fort Lewis, I go to El Paso, Texas, Fort Bliss. That's why I trained for Vietnam. And the bad part about that, I trained Vietnam in White Sands, New Mexico. You know what I think about, about White Sands, New Mexico? Yeah. So I did in the damn deserts, man. We shooting at guns I was on, we called it a duster. It was, it was a Navy gun. He took the deterrent off the Navy ship and put it on a hat track. So you could do a 360, you could shoot up, and you could shoot down. It had, had a six-man team, a driver, squad leader, two cannoneers, one, and a gunner, and a, and a guy who turned the tub. So I, I trained on that. So after, after I, uh, AIT, they started calling your name out where you was going. Okay, everybody, Vietnam, 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 Vietnam. I go on for 30 days, right? I leave for Vietnam uh, June 3rd. Leave from Travis Air Force Base, Fairfield. Stopped in Hawaii. Stopped in Wake Island. Stopped in Guam. The last stop was the Philippines. Matter of fact, I bumped into James Brown in the Philippines. Called, <laughs> on the real. He was, he was on, the way, on his way to Vietnam. Called, a, lot, a lot of people were going to Vietnam because they was curious about Vietnam. Right. Leave there. We get to, we left there. We, I landed in Vietnam. June 4th, I never forget, about 6.30 in the morning. They're on them, they're on them, they're on okay, them. Okay, <laughs> okay. We get to about 6.30 in the morning. You're on a cool-ass airplane. I'm from the South, and I'm used to heat, right? When they opened that door up, it was about 425 guys on, on, the, on the plane because they had chartered planes back then. Mm-hmm. I went over there on, on Saturn Airline. When I got off that plane, they opened that door, and we started walking out. I had never felt heat like that in my life. It was like, like walking into a thousand degree furnace. And the next thing I noticed is the smell. It smelled like, smell like, smell like death. I heard all kinds of noise, shooting helicopters, jets. You know, I see all these Vietnamese people squatting down with their black hats on, straw hats on, black pajamas. Their teeth was all black. They was chewing some kind of tobacco. We well, unloading the plane. That heat was kicking my ass. So I ain't gonna it, 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 you weren't used to that from the Mississippi heat? No, no this heat, you wouldn't believe it. it, it this one, heat, this was like walking to a furnace, like a thousand degrees. So we, we unloading, the plane was unloading, and all of a sudden we started hearing these loud rounds falling behind the plane. All we had was our paperwork. We didn't have a gun. <laughs> so we trying to figure out what's that. Right? They was getting closer and closer to the plane, right? They pulled the steps back, rolled the steps back, closed the door, and the plane started taking off. 
sergeants, they man, run into the bunker. We didn't know what the bunker was. In Vietnam, they call you FNGs, you fucking new guys. Yeah. Because you just got there. No, no, you just got there. You don't know shit, right? So you're not even off the plane or helicopter yet. No, no. We, no, we off. I'm off. Mm-hmm. Some of my boys off, but the plane's still unloaded. So when they closed the doors, guys left from the plane. So the plane trying to get away from the mortar rounds. We run into, inside the bunker. Okay, bam. We run inside the bunker. After they stopped firing, right? So they took us to, to these barracks. We was at, at uh, Ben Warfels, basically took us to Long Ben. To nine of replacement. That's all the Vietnam vets went, right? So they got up there. So the first thing me and my homeboy said, hey, man, the guys who's coming back home, if we want some weed, who do we go to? They said, go to Mommy's son. Okay, Mommy's son was a Mama pimp. Son. Yeah. <laughs> like platoon. <laughs> right, right. right. My, Mommy's son, son was a pimp. She was a dope dealer. Papa's son kept everything clean, but Mommy's son ran shit, the whole house and everything. So we go to Mommy's son. They said, don't ask for no weed, ask for happy smoke. <laughs> okay. And we laughed at it, but when we smoked it, it was it made you happy. Yeah. <laughs> made you real happy, right? So we bought a whole sandbag uh, of weed, me and two of my boys, for fifteen dollars in their money. They money called piastres. No, when once you get to the age, they money look different than ours. Mm-hmm. It's colorful, right? Bought the weed. So we sit in sit in the barracks waiting to see what was next. So it's come in, he said, I need a twenty five man detail. They didn't mind a volunteer, right? So he started picking, picking out guys. He got me, my boys, woo, wham, wham. So we get on the back of these deuce in the ass. About two, about two truckloads full. And they, had, they had these quarter-ton trucks with trailers with, with behind them. I seen the medevac ambulances and stuff. And they gave us a bucket. We didn't know where we was going. But we ride out, we ride out this helicopter pad. This thing that really messed me up. I'd, be, I'd been in Vietnam less than three hours. We watched this helicopter pad. And we stood there waiting. He, he said, fill you, fill you buckets up for the water. Here come a line of helicopters flying in. We we just got there. Yeah. We FNGs, right? <laughs> and when the helicopters saw landing, guess it was dead bodies. Right. I mean, it was, a, it was like about six helicopters, six helicopters, whole 18 people, right? Mm-hmm. Some was in body bags, some was all messed up. And man, it was like, I'm saying to myself, am I seeing this shit already? Jeez. So we once you get unloaded the bodies, the ones that was dead, we put them. On the flatbed trail, on the flatbed trucks, the one that had a chance to make it, they called it the golden hour. They put them in the ambulance and tucked them to the hospital and started working on them. So after they unloaded the helicopters, we take our buckets of water and threw them on the, on the floor as it wipes the blood out. They take back off, we take they take off again. So we actually saw it, where are they going? Guess what he told us? They're going to get more. And and you're five in five hours into landing. Less than less than three and a half hours. Damn. So they're going to get more. Mm-hmm. We just got there. That, that heat, man, we sucking with That heat was kicking our ass. But I ain't going to yeah. lie to you. Here they, then they come back again for the, with the last load. We said, Shoo. So what happened was the guys that was going back home, I never forget this one white guy was telling us, he said, man, the training you had in the United States, forget about that. He said, they're going to train you. We said, who? He said, this is a little guy named Charlie Kong. We didn't know who the hell he was. Yeah. So we kind of chuck it off and shit. So. We stayed there for two days, and they start the next, the third day. They start calling out people. You going to the first cab? You going to the twenty fifth? You going to the hundred first airborne division? You going to the second? They just telling you where you are going. So I went. I was going to the first cab. We was down south. Some of the guys I trained with, they they stayed down south. So I went up north to not train. So what happened was we got we went to not train first, and McFadden, his son grandson, played football for the Oakland Raiders, mm-hmm. number twenty, the running back. Yes. That was a great grandson. So McFadden got, in, got into it with his white boy. He had been wounded in Vietnam. He had a cast on. They get him to fight, and the white boy knocks him out with, with his cast. Mm-hmm. He was a Vietnam vet, and he had the thousand, in Vietnam, they called it a thousand yard stare. 
Because you don't see some of shit that you looking like this all the time. So that but Mac Fadden found a brick somewhere and waited, waited till he went to sleep and, and, and broke his goddamn jaw. So he got through that shit. Then we go to Queen Yon. That's when I seen my first NVA soldiers. We get to Queen Yon. That was my last stop before I got to my unit. You seen all these little kids out there. They was all had them shackled together with chains and shit. Some had their legs blowed off. Some had their arms blowed off. So we asked him, so who was that? He said, that's who you're going to be fighting. I said, they look like kids. He said, well, you can beat them motherfuckers. <laughs> you're going to find out real quick. They 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 a fighting machine. So we get to, get to our, our unit. We watched the movie Cool Hand Luke with Paul Newman. Hand Luke. And they took us to the firing range next day. We fired. Then they sent us out to our unit. And I had a racist ass uh, a sergeant named Sergeant Dearborn. I'll never forget him. May may bust in there. He, he didn't like blacks, right? Because Vietnam was a racial war. Think about it. Six to eight. They, had, they was protesting, burning flags, burning draft cards and shit. Now we over with these white boys. It wasn't the white boys from, that was from back east. It was the ones that from down south that was just treating black tenant kind of way. Mm-hmm. Just what happened, most guys, my unit, they was from New York, Chicago, Detroit. They didn't play that shit. Yeah. I was fresh in California less than two years. And I'm, I came from this small ass town, all naive and shit. They told me, hey, homeboy, we from, we from the city. You get with us. We got you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I, I fired a couple rounds that night, and Southern Dearborn came out and jumped in my ass. The next day, I, a Jeep pulled up, say, Fernando, excuse me, pack, pack, your, uh, pack your duffel bag. We shipping y'all. I shorted out with the South Koreans. It wasn't shit happening with them. So they sent me to a place called LZ Action, and my whole life changed after that. Every morning about 5.36, between 5.36 in the morning, they're dropping mortar rounds. I'd never been shot at before. And the mortar rounds, man, it will wake a dead man up. Mm-hmm. They walk him in, crack up, crack up. They throw lead everywhere, right? So they want this in Vietnam, every Vietnam they would tell you, there's one incident they would never forget. August 24th, 1968, this bridge got, got overran. Bridge 26. On, on Highway 19, me and this guy, white guy named Ron, we still in, we still in touch. We pulling guard dude one night. We sitting like this. Bridge was a half mile away, right? So the lieutenant calls in. He said, man, I've been in Vietnam about a week before three months. He said, we got buku movement. That means buku in Vietnamese mean the whole lot. Permission to fire. Back in Vietnam, you can put your hand right in front of your face. You couldn't see nothing. He, we had a, th- a scope called Starlight Star Bright Infrared. He said, we got Buku movement. I knew what that meant. He said, permission to fire. Captain Reed told him, uh, permission denied. We don't want you shooting up, shooting up the pipeline. They were shooting up the pipeline, the pipeline every night. But bridges in Vietnam was crucial. God, they blew them up. You couldn't, you couldn't bring supplies through. Time you hung the radio up, the firefight started. It wasn't a firefight. It was a massacre. Mm-hmm. The AK-47 has yellow and green tracers. Every fifth round was tracer. I, the M16 got red tracers. Every fifth round was tracer. All we seen was yellow and green. RPGs. And losing, he called back again. He said, we can't hold them off. They're all of us. It was 12 of our guys. And what they do, what they did, they watched them, right? Okay, it's 12 of y'all, right? I'm breaking in 25 30 to make sure I get your ass. And that night, he was hungry. So the last thing he said, they're all of us. We can hold them off. And the, the radio went dead. And then the Vietnamese got on the radio. And we knew right then they was all gone. So Lieutenant comes out. He said, man, pack your shit. Get all the ammunition you can. Pierce 26 got overrun. We just seen it get overrun. You shelling up. We just saw it. Everybody, the whole fire base is up looking at it. What shit we can do? Half a mile away. Jump on our track. I tell, I tell uh, my lieutenant, I said, that's, that's the LT. 
I don't mean to be intervening as to don't you think it'd be a good idea idea for us once you leave this gates to us shooting on both sides? The bridges got overran. So we if in case we get returned fire, because they know we coming, and he probably got the ambush set up for us. So we rode down a half mile, shooting on both sides. There's one white boy, he lived. I never forget he was, he we had a black light, a black infrared lights on. It's like about two o'clock in the morning. He running towards us, and we seen us. He passed out. He popped red in the highway. Just how scared it was. We get down to the bridge. Eleven guys had the hands tied behind their back. with come a wire. They had cut all everybody's throat. Shot them in the head. Took all their wallets, watches. They took all their weapons, but the, the M60 left. The M60. That's that's one that will puzzle me for the rest of my life. That's a machine gun. Mm-hmm. So, and they, they they got this big leaflet with a nail and nail in your chest. GIDD. I mean, get the fuck out of Vietnam. Shit. Yeah, we sit on the bridge there, and we didn't know that it was two F fourteens coming to drop a bomb. We sit on the bridge, the bridge wasn't that big, and they came and dropped two five hundred pound bombs. And, and when they exploded, my ears started bleeding. It's like they was they, they, they was that close. Mm-hmm. That was, that was the, that's the incident I'll never forget. And how old were you at this time? Eighteen and a half. Eighteen years old. Had never, oh. Yeah, eight, never been shot at. I've been shot at with a BB gun, but not the shit they were shooting at me. <laughs> Yeah, well, they were dropping <laughs> bombs on your guys. Yeah. Man, dropping bombs. No mission, RPGs, man. Now, four days later, I get wounded. Four days later, Highway 19, they had two fire bases there. At LV Schiller, Pump Station 7, Bridge 26, where I was, LZ Action, they had Pump Station 8. We had two convoys coming through every day by 50 trucks, bringing supplies, for either from NK to Playku, or either from Playku to NK. So, that being said, they came through one Saturday morning. We was getting hit every, every weekend. August 28th, they come through. It was about 1025. So me and my boy, we out there just, just fucking around, just shooting the shit. And they started hitting the, uh, the convoy. They started hitting the pump station. And we think, okay, they, 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 they're not going to hit us. All of a sudden, they started hitting us. But me and Ron jump on the track. And this shit happened so damn fast during the firefight, man. People don't realize that shit happened like this, bam, like a, a, a millisecond. They dropped around. My lieutenant got hit. I got hit. Ron got hit. I squalled the car. He lost one of his eyes. Ron, this white guy that I'm still in touch with, he jumped off the track. He drug car beneath the track. I tried to drag Lieutenant Helmet, but I, I weighed 145. He, he was about 6'4", we about 240. I couldn't move him. So what should I can do? But they had stopped firing by then. Mm-hmm. Went to the hospital. Two days later, they sent me back. I didn't want to go back up to them. I was scared to say I ain't gonna lie to you. And what they do, they put fear in you. So once they once they put fear in you, they got you. Yeah. I was on the fire base with about 120 guys. Everybody was scared. Cause we know in a given day, in a given night, we can get overrun, everybody gone. It's how Vietnam was. Dang. Did you did you end up having either or like a hate for the Viet Cong with the Vietnamese people? And also did you have respect for them after the war or now that you can talk about it? I respect for them for number one. I've always wondered why, 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 why was we there? My thing, I, uh, I had hate for the white guys that you fighting with every damn day. They playing Tim, Tim and Wynette, Johnny Cash, Hank Williams. We playing Motown, Temptation, Four Top. You know, we playing soul music. They, they, they holler, hey man, turn that, that nigga music off. And the fight was on. You feel me? Now, to make it even worse, you go out there on patrol with these bugs. You might lose a few guys, a few guys because they wounded. You come back to your fire base, all the white boys telling all to themselves, they want to fuck with you. All the black guys from Latinos and Puerto Ricans, we're telling to ourselves. And let me say this, man, 
and this is respect for Latinos, blacks, Puerto Ricans. We were the one putting down. We were the one kicking ass. Yeah. We didn't get that respect. Your people, my people, and the Puerto Ricans, we was the bad motherfuckers in, in Vietnam. Just that damn simple. We, we, never, got, we never got the props. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, what, what, what was a, a good moment in Vietnam for you? You smoking Cambodian red, the best <laughs> weed in the world. <laughs> that was the best moment for me. That was the best moment? Who, right. Who got you that? Mama son? Mama son. Mama son? And here's the Mama deal. Mama son gets you everything, huh? Mama son gets you everything. Snoop Dogg don't have no brothers, sisters over there? I, hell of I know he might. <laughs> <laughs> he might. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, Sipping on gin and juice yeah, over in Vietnam. Right. Yeah, but, right. but, but, but what it was, uh, every 50, you, you, okay, you got in the bush for 15 days on patrol. Getting down bush, mortar attacks. People stepping on landmines. People getting their legs done, blow it off. Uh, that's just a normal week. Right, right. It, it, wow. it, become, it become normal. You got uh, North Vietnamese bodies up, bodies up and down. Highway 19, what we would do, there's two ways we, 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 would, we would do it. Call the engineers out with a bulldozer, dig a hole, throw them in the hole, put lime, put lime on top of them. If they wouldn't smell, cover them up. You can take diesel and pour them on top of them. Mm. Take all their shit, light them up, and let them burn up. Oh, once yeah, yeah. once diesel gets through burning, ain't shit left with ashes. How was that mm -hmm. smell though? It had to hit you. No, no, no. Once, no, once you burn it up, you take off. You can smell it. Yeah. You you, you tell me, my flesh. Now, how yeah. how long did you end up staying in Vietnam for? Eleven months, eleven months, twenty six days. Matter of fact, let me tell you what the last firefight. Have, have you guys watched the movie Hamburger Hill? Yes, absolutely. Okay, let me. See. I got a picture in my phone right now. I took it May 9th. I had twenty four days no wake up, and I was going home. You're counting these days. Hell yeah, you count. <laughs> <laughs> What? When you get to 100, 100 days in Vietnam, you buy a short time calendar. Everybody, the, the Vietnamese made them. Now, everybody, I had a foot. Okay. Started from my big toe and started counting down days. You get down to your, to your, to your, your, your pinky. Yeah. That's, 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 that's really Vietnam. Dang. So, what happened was, I took this picture May 9th. May 10th, the Fife Hamburg Hill started. Excuse me. It was it wasn't Hamburger Hill then. Mm -hmm. It was Hill nine thirty seven. It was hundred first airborne division screaming niggas. They got poor intel, you know. Intelligence meant, meant everything in Vietnam. So the fight started for three days. We didn't hear about it. That fourth day, I was back at base camp. I I, I wasn't going out on patrol then, so I was a radio operator. They call it RTO Romeo Tangawaska. The radios on our track was different when you're in the bush because you just talking to me and you talking. Yeah. The radio room, you talking to everybody. Air Force pilots, everything, you know what I'm saying? And I was really green to it, okay? But this white guy from Vegas, he, he took me to school. So the fourth day, we started hearing about, man, they're fighting today. It's a big fight on, 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 on uh, Hill 937. You're like, you gang banging. Hey, man. <laughs> they are this black. No, no, it's like when you gang banging, you know, you go to some neighborhoods where you know it's going to be some shit. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Okay. Vietnam was like that. You know, some places you had been time and time again, you know, get ready to fight. Get ready to fight. So the fourth day, you start hearing about it. Everybody in Vietnam heard about it. The fifth day, my captain said, hey, Renato, get on their frequency. We, we had this big-ass antenna, so I got on their frequency. Guess what I heard? All I heard was AK-47s, mortar rounds, Claymore mines, RPGs. I mean, it's like, it's not like a 4th of July fireworks show. That's day four. Day five, they still fight. Damn, day six they still fight. Everybody's man. It doesn't know. That's how Vietnam is. Day seven they still fight. Day eight they still fight. Full blown. Oh, full blown. Day night. The ninth day they still fight. He took the heel May twentieth. The fight started May tenth. He took the heel May twentieth. 
They lost over 400 guys, man. It was so many guys got was getting killed. They had to fly some to Tokyo because hospitals in Vietnam wouldn't big enough to hold everybody. So that's that's what they named Hamburger Hill. In every major firefighting in Vietnam, we always gave a name. I give you an example. The Marines fought the Kason. You probably heard about Kason, the seven to seven day siege. They fought for seventy seven days with five thousand Marines against twenty thousand North Vietnamese. Yeah. That think about it. Seven, you fight seven seven days. They hitting yeah. you. They hitting you two or three times a day. Not with more, they hitting you with mortar rounds, but he, but they hitting you with one twenty millimeter artillery rounds. The first round, the, the fight started. I think like November, first part of November. The first round they shot, it was five thousand Marines. They hit the ammo dump, and this is what they do. They okay, hit the ammo dump, right? Now your ammunition is gone. When they when they hit the ammo dump, eighteen Marines got killed. Bam, just like that. It exploded for forty eight hours. So now your ammo is gone. Now all you got is your ammo on you, right? But now they know you got to fly it in. They real smart, right? Okay, you got to fly this shit in. So I find in those C one thirties, they start blowing them up. What they start doing is start finding low to let the uh, TIA down and just drop it off. Okay, you you drop it off, but now you guys go out there and get it. Yeah, they they know yeah. they know that. Mm-hmm. So when you go out, when you go out there to get it, they're waiting. They they, they try dropping around mortar rounds in on you. They had outposts with little, little fire bases and shit. They, all all those guys got killed. I lost a homeboy, man. I grew up with in Mississippi. He got killed in case, son. If I was, but the bad part about Vietnam, after the case, son, we left. We always take a hill and then we leave. Like Hamburg Hill, we left. Mm-hmm. It come right back. Yeah. Right. So, so why I lose all those lives? But I came to find out that in Vietnam, they was drafting Latinos and blacks and Puerto Ricans just like that. Easy. Right. Easy, because I'm going to tell you why. Our population was growing too fast. It was to cut down on reproduction. Then they was they was wow. they, they was drafting poor white people, not the rich ones. Rich mm-hmm. white boys, Katie. Right. So the white mm-hmm. it was white poor kids they was drafting. And think about it, it was it's like fifty eight thousand four hundred seventy nine four hundred seventy nine guys got killed in Vietnam. Think about how many kids they would have had. They're 18, 19 years old. Right. So think about yes. it. So so that many people that got killed, think about how many kids they would have had. Yeah. I can sure. when I started going to West LA, LA college college, I started doing research on Vietnam. Come to find out they've been fighting for four four thousand years. They beat Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. They beat the Japanese. They beat the Chinese. France had held it down Vietnam for 100 years because Vietnam grow more rice than any country in the world. That's why he calls it the jewel of Asia. They got opium, China white, the best wheat. So, came to find out, I thought about it. Said, we go to these, these countries like Iraq. Bush then went to Iraq because the Bush family's in oil. Yes. That's why they stayed there for so long. They made billions of dollars in Cheney. So, wars are started by old men. They fought by the young. Yes, sir. Okay. By old white men. Right. They, the old right. white men, we got shit man. to do. And you got black and brown men fighting their wars. And they, they, they come at us. That's some real shit. Okay. That's some but let me shit. say this again. It was Latinos, blacks, and the Puerto Ricans. We was the bad motherfuckers. Holding it down over there. Goddamn right we was. Yeah, the, 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 the Vietnamese, when you first saw them, you thought, these are these little boys, little kids, because they're so small. They look like they, they was kids. <laughs> but they, they was. Were, but they were killers. Man, what? <laughs> and people don't realize in Vietnam, this is what, this is what happened. When when they when they ran France out in 1954 in Nien they ran them out. France told President Johnson, "Don't go to Vietnam because you fight an enemy that's invisible." It's not all we the United States. We got all this firepower. We went around. Okay, they beat us on foot. Okay, so that being said, when I got to Vietnam, 
They had, uh, they had under, they, they, uh, I give you an example. The 25th Infantry Division built a fire base in Coochie. The 101st had moved out there with up north. They didn't realize when they built this big fire base, they, they built it right on top of the Vietnamese headquarters. 241 miles of underground highway, hospitals, living quarters, into Saigon. So when they finished building it, every night they was getting lit up. They was getting hit. Trying to figure out what's going on. And Vietnam, these they small people, right? They had this, this block, this uh, big piece of concrete, slide it back and pop up and pop back down the invisible. They finally figured it out. You heard about the tunnel rats. Yes. You go down the tunnels? Yes. That's how they, that's, that's how, how they came about. Down south, they had tunnels. Where I was, they had caves. Okay, I'm quite sure you, get, you guys probably, a lot of Latino guys love, they love Marines. I noticed that a lot of mm-hmm. Latino guys love joining Marines, right? Yes, gun ho. Right, they gun ho, right. Yes. They, they, they like that, mm, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you, you talk to any Latino guy that was in Vietnam my age, you say the same thing. You fight the enemy, you can't see, but you damn sure feel him. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm. That part. Yeah. So, so do you have a number that you've killed in Vietnam? Well, one day we killed 73. I had, I had 34 days to wake up. I just came back from R&R, Rest, rest and Recreation. I came yeah. back from Bangkok, Thailand. They send you the replacements over to Vietnam three months before you leave. As a uh, uh, Latino guy, his name was Danny. He was from uh, Redondo Beach. Yes. He's about maybe five, 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 six. And I was training him. So when I did leave, he, he, he knew what, what he was up against. Mm-hmm. Came back from Bangkok. We had that pulling guard dude one night at his pump station. And he, uh, I said, uh, I said, Danny, I, I said, uh, uh, you guys took it, but you guys get, getting hit every night. Why well, I was going for yep every night, every night they, they was shit fire four RPGs. We have our guns pointed red towards the hill they was firing from. We don't know what he, whether we got them or not. He said it was still getting hit. So we we, we was listening to uh, David Ruffin. He was singing. He was singing this song called "My Whole World Is In It." The, the moment you left me, we had that spoken. I was on the second shift, second shift of guard duty from twelve to six in the morning. I I I I a guard dude for three hours. Okay, you sleep for three hours. I wake you up. You got the last three hours. By one fifteen, cause that's when you used to come to hit your ass. They shot twelve RPGs. I got wounded twice that night. They shot three from the back, three from the front, three from both sides. You can see them coming that night. It's like a flash. Mm-hmm. We look over like this. You come right over here. We were so fucking high, man. They, they ain't gonna explode. They exploded right in front of us, man. <laughs> I got about 20 pieces of fragments to my Damn. neck right now. Got hit right here, right here. I see a scar. Right. Mm-hmm. Danny, you lost pieces here. By me having 34 days to wake up, I'm, I'm, I'm a hardcore vet now. Danny was brand new. I have to give him a credit. He held his ground that night. I put my CVC helmet on, called the fire base. I, I need fire support. They had our grid and everything. I said, man, go out by a thousand meters and start bringing it back. I popped the flare. Bam. They go up and you, you pop like this. Bam, flare goes up like this, Shh. pops open, it's a parachute, and you got the flare, it floats like this. I looked out there, here they come, leaves on top of the head. See, we shoot like this, they shoot like this. Now all I seen was yelling green tracers coming at us. I jumped on the 60, Danny, uh, he had to thump the M79 grenade launcher. I don't really waiting on my boys to wake up so I can fire my big guns. So by that time, I had called the corp, we called them snakes, the corporate helicopter. Oh, they come in, uh, uh, that's the thousand rounds right there. I, heard, I can hear them coming and stuff. I said, all we got to do is hold them off until they, until they get there. Artillery was doing the rest. We killed 7-3 that night. But it, I didn't get out and I didn't get picked up about 6 that morning. My whole uniform was full of blood. 
And from, from that point on, when I came back from the hospital, they took me out in the bush. I got wounded three times, really two times they took me out in the bush. And you go either go to base camp or go back to the fire base. I chose to go back to the fire base. I'm telling you why. I've been in Vietnam with my boys that long. I can't walk away from them, man. You know, what I'm saying? these are my boys, man. We don't put it down together. And I'm not going to wait. I'll park out if I leave them. So I, I'm at the fire base, but I wasn't going out. So that's what I did, man. At this, at this point, you're a completely different person than you were a year almost prior to that. I was a full grown man. I mean, you think about it. I was in two, 200, 241 fireplaces. Did you ever wake up and kind of have a dream and think you're still at home and wake up and say, what the fuck am I doing? I'm back over here. No, no. In Vietnam, you don't dream. In Vietnam, you don't sleep. Oh, shit. Because once they hit your ass at night, you, not, let me put it this way. But 11 months, when the first time I, the first action I seen, I didn't sleep at night, man. You take power naps, man. You're too, you're too afraid to go to sleep. You can't see nothing for no more. Okay? You're going to sleep. You might wake up with your, with your throat cut. So I, I really never slept in Vietnam. 30 minutes of sleep in Vietnam feel like four or five hours to me. An hour of sleep feel like eight hours. You tired, man. I mean, they, they, constantly, they constantly hitting your ass, man. They wearing you down. They wearing you down, folks. They wear you down like this. So when you do go to sleep, that's when they come get your ass. They come get you at night. But here's another incident I went through. I'm at Pump 67. This one Saturday morning. And I knew right then we was, uh, that my boys were in a world of shit. It was at uh, LV Shula. So my lieutenant that came by to check on us, right? So we hear, we hear gunfire, right? It was kind of dense. So he jumps on the radio. He said, what's going on up there? My boys at the other, other LZ said, man, we getting hit. Just like 1030 on the Saturday morning. I said, okay. They ready to fight. They could hit you that time in the morning. They ready to fight. He said, pack your shit. Get all the ammunition you can. Let's go help them out. We ride now about a mile and a half. It was a mountain. The crew gets to go around with a mountain. Once you get right around that mountain, it sounded like the 4th of July fireworks show. If shoot more than rounds from this way, shoot more than rounds from that way. But the gun I was on, we started shooting this way. Our guns should reach the mortar to. They started shooting that way. But what they had did, the other shooters sat on top of the hill, right? And what happened was they had, they had been there all night long. So they, had, they was there to where no matter how, how the fire breeze, how they shot back at them, you couldn't hit them. Because you up here, up here down here. Mm-hmm. So we, we saw us seeing them moving, and we had a good lieutenant from Texas. I mean, a good uh, platoon sergeant from Texas named Sergeant Dottery. He was a war monkey. He loved to fight. He said, lay back. I'm going to call an artillery. So I called an artillery, the gunship. They started running. So when they started running, we started shooting at them. We hit a couple of them. But most, most of the time, they got away. But the, hard part of, the hardest part about Vietnam, after that last shot of fire in the ambush or fire fight, everything got all quiet, right? It might be 120 of them and you out there looking for them, you don't see nobody. They vanish. You trying to figure out what in the hell did they go? They're there. That's the scary part. Yeah. But they vanish. They go underground. Thank you. They go underground in the tunnels. And in tunnels. Yep. Damn. Yeah. Now, when you say this story, I mean it's so vivid. It's so still there in your mind. Yeah. How do you deal with this stuff after so many years? Because it has to have something so, on your on your. Well, it's home. like so this. You, you come home, right? Right. At this point. Do you get flashbacks? Have no, you no. ever got flashbacks? No, no. But I don't call them flashbacks. Some oh. guys get flashbacks. But here's yeah. the deal. You got two counts of Vietnam vets. You got the ones that don't talk about it. The other ones get flashbacks. I love talking about it to my grandsons and, and stooping everybody. Because by me talking about it, I'm releasing it. You feel yes. me? Yes. Yeah. Therapy. But when you holding in, man, you still in Vietnam. You know, that's funny because, you know, my dad was in Vietnam as well. Uh-huh. He got drafted in 68 as well. Right. Um, 
but he didn't talk about it for years. And then he would get the flashbacks. Right. And then in his older age, before he passed, he started talking about it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I never understood that. Why did he talk about it later in his in his age? And when we were younger, he never talked about it. But we he would go through those flashbacks and he would chase us around the house calling us Charlie. And we didn't understand it. Right. And my mom would kick us out of the house. Like, right. Just come back later. You know? Shit. And yeah, so that's why I was asking you if you, you get those flashbacks. Well, let me tell you, here's the deal. When I was going to my going to my PTSD classes on plumber in, in the valley at the VA, mm-hmm. they were bringing the wives in once a week. And there's one what wife was, was telling us that she had to, she had to, had, had to get a broom and stand back just to wake her husband up. She's like, if I got too close to him, mm-hmm. he would attack me. Okay, so they were telling these stories, right? I've never had a nightmare. Cause my main thing was when I left Vietnam, I left Vietnam, Vietnam. You left it there. But let me say this. Vietnam is only 24-7-365. It's only, it's only. It's something you can't shake. Your dad couldn't shake it. Can't no Vietnam shake it that was in the bush. You had the ones in the bush couldn't shake it. They had the ones in the rear with the gear. They didn't see no action. But the, the but the ones, in the, was your dad a Marine? Yes. Okay. You see, he, he was the shit like I was. Yeah. Okay. He was so, a radio guy. Radio man. RTO. He was mm-hmm. a target. I'm going to tell you why. When you, are, you got the Prick 25 radio. Mm-hmm. When you're RTO, you got the big long antenna. And that's the first person. Uh, that's the first. Steve. That's the first person they want to shoot. Mm-hmm. Hit the radio, man. Yeah. If you don't grab the radio, you have no communication. Right. So RTO, RTO in the point, man, was 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 two biggest targets in Vietnam when you on patrol. That radio, man, they wanted him real mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. And here's the, I'm gonna tell you the thing that I fear most in Vietnam and in the Vietnam vet will tell you snipers. It was always around picking up one, picking up one here. They could hit you from a mile away. Okay. But, but the Marines, this one guy named, uh, it was named uh, Carlos Hescock. Your dad was there when he, when he was in Vietnam. I was there when he killed, they say he killed 93 Vietnamese by wow. himself. So Sniper's a two man team. Got the spotter, got the shooter. Yes. He did it by himself. Damn. A redneck from Arkansas. Redneck from Arkansas. <laughs> Not really. Uh, now he sad. made history. Redneck from Arkansas that was, used to go squirrel and rabbit hunting. And he did it all with the M14. And we, we shoot. His job was to go out there and find the captains, the people who were running the show. Rank. And right, and we would shoot them. He would shoot them like, okay, you shoot them from the back, but you thought you shot them from the front. Mm-hmm. And they would turn around and face that way. They'd give them time to haul ass. Do you ever yes. run into any, let's say, for lack of a better word, rednecks in that, that eventually after the war, they kind of saw you different? Maybe you saw them different? Or no, not, I got one. I got real good one for you. We got back from Vietnam. Let me tell, let, let me tell you about Leaving Vietnam. Man, we could just do a whole Vietnam podcast. Yeah, I'm loving exactly. this, man. man yeah, too. Vietnam story. Let me tell you, when I got my orders, man, we was at Camp Run Bay. We had two more days before we was leaving. And we and let me say this. It was 997 guys got killed the first day in Vietnam. It was 1,441 got killed on your last day of Vietnam. Like they said, in Vietnam, it's better to get killed when you first get there and you don't suffer than to do a whole year and they get killed. Shit. So, oh, so yeah. right, so 1,441 got killed their last day. That's crazy. Wow. So, so we down at Cameron Bay. We all in our duffel bags. And it was our time. It was, uh, it was June, June 1st. It was time for us to leave. So we out there, man, Cameron Bay. We out there two days. Everybody smoking shit. And most of us have made it back. We, we didn't lose that many guys, man. And we just waiting for this plane to land. I went uh, back then when the plane land, guys unloading, coming to Vietnam. They changed pilots and, and, and put gas in it. Guys leaving. He jumped on the plane, right? They started calling out names. They called him, came to my name, Vernell Vernado. Went well. You're on the airplane, man. We on the way down them to close the door. Cause we, we still in Vietnam. We, we know they got SR2 two, two, uh, 
uh, uh, missiles to shoot down a plane. We know they got mortar rounds. We have been there long enough to realize that we're still in deep shit. Mm-hmm. We're we still in Vietnam. Cameron Ryan Bay Post has been half fair safe, right? When they closed that door, my man, there's no lie. He closed that door. He, he started revving that plane up. He started going down that runway. We didn't say shit. Everybody was wearing a watch back then. We had the Seiko watch. That was a real popular watch. I bought one in Hong Kong. Okay, R and R. That plane takes off. You over, te- over South China Sea. Cameron, Cameron Bay was right there on the South China Sea. We're looking at our watch. Like ten minutes fly by, fifteen minutes pass by. We said to ourselves, "You ain't for enough. Wait for this motherfucker." Get out there. He did a forty-five degree bank. He said, "I'm sure you, you guys, Vietnam for the last time." Wow. You fly all the way down the coast of Vietnam. We seen flashes. We knew somebody was easy to get killed in a, in a firefight. When we got away from Vietnam, the whole plane erupted. Because we could not believe we made, that we made it out in this mug. In one piece. Yeah. Okay? Right. We couldn't believe it, man. We got the screaming and holler, man, from that point on, all the way from Cameron Bay to Tokyo, that plane got all quiet, man. When we got back to Fort Lewis, uh, back to uh, a corridor of Force Base in Washington, we all got out and kissed the ground, man. That's how bad Vietnam was. We kissed the ground. We glad to be back in America. But the bad part about it, when we got to the airport in Washington, Seattle, Washington, they was calling us baby killers. Yeah. Yeah. Don't want shit at right. us. You guys come back. Your dad probably told you about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Baby yeah. killers, spitting on us, thought, we look at this shit, man. We couldn't believe it. That's something I would never forget long if I live. No, no Vietnam bed. Every Vietnam bed would tell you. We got treated like shit. We didn't get no damn parade. We didn't get that ticker tape parade like them guys from Iraq. But we was we the real we the real heroes. So, man. so so what was the reason why they called you baby killers? Is it because there was babies actually being left? They no, I'm tell you why. The Vietnam War was was a TV war. Mm-hmm. It was on TV every damn day. Yes. Right. Some 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 moms there seen their kids get killed on TV. Mm-hmm. Try that one. So we got back, man. Back then they was protesting for bringing up draft cards. Hippies. Hip hippies of racial tension and shit. It get worse. I could tell lady doing the same shit. Mm-hmm. And when I got my, when I see my brothers and sisters, they, they look at me all funny and shit. They thought all Vietnam best are crazy. This is when I see my mom and dad. I'm thinking they're gonna give me a big hug. You all right, boy? You crazy? Mm-hmm. Oh, How many people you killed? It was like nobody wanted to be around me, man. Yeah, that broke my fucking heart, man. Nobody yeah. wanted to be you around me. For this country and everybody now disowns you. But what make it even worse? In '69, I still seen the same stand, white color. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change. You just came and fought and put your life on the I'm line. Lying, but I'm still black and I still can't do this and I can't do that. Wow. You're, you're, and we'll get into that segment. This is a perfect time to switch to that. Right. We were talking about Muhammad Ali. Um, his famous word, he said, no yellow man ever called me the ER word. No, you didn't, no one never called him a nigga. And the bad part about it, what broke my heart was when he took his license from him. This is how, how the white man was operating, operating back then. Probably, sorry, and still this, to be honest with you. To a point, yes. He's he just a little bit more uh, 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 conservative with it. Back then, if you was black, and, and I give you an example, Meg Everett, uh, uh, Emmett Till, uh, all them guys who got killed, if you were fighting for your voting rights and you was a civil, a civil rights activist and you, hung, you stayed in Mississippi, you was going to get killed. In 1965, they started bringing in Freedom Riders. Are you guys familiar with Freedom Riders? No. Freedom Riders, it was white people. Bernie Sanders was one. A lot of actors, Paul Doing. Really? Uh, uh, Paul Newman, a lot of actors was coming down from back east. They had us vote called Mississippi is the poorest state in the United States. Okay? You guys know what a slam window is? No. Up in the Delta, where they raised cotton, catfish, and rice, a slam window is like, it's not a window. It's a board. You, pull, you got a screen up there. You, you pull it out. For ventilation in the daytime. At night, you close it. And back then, my grandmother and grandfather didn't get electricity until 1957. Back then, people had kerosene lamps. 
Feel me? They had wooden soles. Okay, that's where I came from. Okay, and back then, man, like I said, they didn't segregate my high school to 1972. And when they did, the white teachers were not teaching black shit. Okay, right now, if I speak, this is 2023. Yes, Mississippi, Alabama. When they had a prom, guess what? The white kids have this at the recreation center. The black kids have this in the cafeteria. I mean, the gym. Oh wow. They had, they separate white black. Ain't nothing changed, man. And I'm seven three. I'm going to seven four years old. Damn. Okay. Okay. Like I'm telling you today, Latinos get a bad rap. I was at a party when I I live in I live in Atlanta, Georgia, right? And somebody was saying something about the Latinos who went well. I said, "Hey, man, it's like this." I said, "I tell you what, it worked." I said, "The work the Latinos doing now." I did that growing up. I said, "Don't I said, don't knock them." I said, "Here's the deal." I said, "They are the economy." I said, "If they stop working in the fields, picking our produce, if they stop cleaning up hotels, they stop babysitting." For two weeks, you're going to feel it in your damn pockets. I've done never said nothing about Latinos. I, this is why I told them. Latinos are unified, which blacks are not. Black lives, talking about black lives matter? No, it couldn't matter. We're killing one another left and right. But number two, Latinos, when they have parties, and no drama. They have, they, they have parties. They're hardworking people. Y'all, you can talk about them as long as you want to. I said, they are, they are our economy. So I, I, for, I defend it, y'all. Because these young black kids don't, don't understand what it is. You know what I'm saying? They grew up with growing up watching TV and playing games. I've lived reality. I'm knowing for a fact blacks and Latinos has been treated worse than anybody in the United States. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Ain't no doubt in my goddamn mind. Mm-hmm. I just keep it real. So let's talk about the civil rights era. Mm. Where were you during that whole time and how was your life going during the civil rights era? Well, I had no choice, but I'm gonna tell you what. Back then they uh King, Jeffrey Jackson, Abernathy, and who else? Uh all the civil rights uh, uh, people, they, they was marching back then, okay? They started off from Alabama trying to get black to voting rights. Mississippi, Tennessee. Alabama was the worst. Oh, they had George Wallace and, and, and Bull Connor. Boy, and, and George Wallace was always saying, any old niggas going to school with white kids in my state. Megan Evers was the first black in Mississippi to go to Ole Miss. Think about it. How you, how you like to go to school? You got the National Guard, you got to walk into school. And walk you walk you back home. Damn. That's how it was back then. But he brought the color color berry. Right. Okay. Back then, man, I never get nineteen sixty-three. We was at home watching TV. We had just came back from church. And they bummed that church in, in Birmingham, Alabama. They bummed the sixteenth uh, street church. Four black girls got killed. Okay. Everything swept up under the rug. Can I take it back? I used the bathroom. Oh yeah, yes, for, yes, sure, yes, for sure, for sure, for sure. Put the put the camera over here, mm-hmm. real quick. I got I got some I got a surprise for you guys. Anyways, go ahead. How am I doing so far? Hey, show show me the rest was at. Hey, 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 uh, hey why don't you come sit over here real quick and uh join join the party while? He, yeah, he's gonna show you where the rest was at right now, real quick. Come on over here. We got we got a surprise guest for you while uh while while we're waiting for him. Come on, big boy. Yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> What's up, man? Oh. What's up, Toes, man? Oh, man. How, how you doing, Playboy? I'm feeling good, man. Just touched down to LA, you know what I'm saying? Just out here moving and grooving. Man, uh, damn, this, this is an amazing story, brother. Hey, he's he's dope. Like, he's, you know what I like about him? I was just telling my homie, like, he's down to earth. Like, he, like, ever since me and him tapped in, it's like, it's like, it's, it's just, he's humble. He's, no, he's, he's a real you know what guy. I'm saying? I mean, he's a real guy, been through yeah, some shit. You know but- what I mean? And, and and he's real. That's that's what I love about him. So what what are you, what are you doing with uh, Pop? Some boy, talk to us. Uh, uh, Break it down. Actually, you know what? what I mean, what, what he's he's actually uh, 
looking for guidance from myself, you know, for my expertise and what I do um, and helping him out, work on with an artist that he's working with. And, um, you know, uh, he enjoys my, you know, uh, not enjoys. He, I could tell that he's being, he's keying in on some of the things that I'm, um, um, telling him and and he's learning with me. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, uh, with the artist that he's talking about right. that he's that he's working with, but um, at the same time, you know, we have a few common friends and and it's just been a great relationship, man. And sure. today's the first time I met him. Actually, you man, know what you I'm saying? We've, on the phone. All no, the time. we've been on the phone damn near every day. We we oh, wow. we 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 know we in the business. Oh, he's got yeah, some yeah, great yeah. energy, you know? man. And we got a badass album coming out, oh, and the album. Yeah. See, and this album, I let him tell him, this album is an old album, but it never been put out on digital platforms. So it was, okay. Oh, it's never put out. So, yeah. It, no, it was on CD, but it never been put Back out. Back in the day. On, yeah, yeah. Never hit digital. Yeah. And I mean, it got Snoop Dogg, Daz. It got all the hitters, Be Legit, everybody yeah. up on there. The West Side. It's the return of the West Side yeah. Riders. Yeah. Oh. Ah! You know what I'm saying? The return Pops of the West Side. he's bringing it back, huh? No, he's bringing it back. So, right. you know, and um, there's a big story behind it. So. I'm gonna let him tell so, it. So why, why why bless us with with uh with his uh why bless us with his uh interview, man? Talk to me, baby. I mean, you know, uh, well, hey, shout out my boy Six Four Joe from Richmond, California. You know what I'm saying? You know, uh, that that was the person that brought me and him together, and um, you know, and through that relationship we both have with Six Four, uh, who's an iconic uh, uh street legend in, out there in, in the Bay, up out of Richmond. That's California, right. what's up, my rich town folks, yeah, North yeah, Richmond yeah, to be yeah, exact. Yeah, I mean, ah. you know, I represent six folks to the fullest. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, right now, you know, he's a uh, he's he he he's fighting a a a, a, a health issue right, right now. But you know what I'm saying? And, you know, on, on his way him, back. Yep. But that's how me and uh, Papa Snoop came involved with each other, and then we started chopping it up. And I was able to get the album, get everything together. But he's seen how fast. Like, I'm talking fast. Like, when they started talking, I'm like, boom, what? Huh? Huh? I'm talking, uh, 24 hour fast. I'm going to get that. Bam, bam, bam. Got everything rocking. And um, now we here. Yeah. And yeah, um, but right. the relationship, you know, okay, here go. Here we go. Here comes the man, the legend. Right, right. Man. Don't touch you the wrong seat, man. Yeah. <laughs> so you're my seat player. Yeah, man. Well, it's a can crack. Welcome man. back. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks, man. Let's get back to this incredible journey yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that we're on. Here. Yeah. So what what I want to ask is, is your Purple Heart. I got three. You got three of them. What? Right. How did that come about? Wounded, being wounded. We get wounded, you get a Purple Heart. So you come back to the States, you get a letter in the mail, somebody calls you up. No, when I, when I get back to the States, I was staying with my brother in L.A. on 6th, 7th Arlington, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I was surprised that, that my LT gave me, I, I got his, uh, three Purple Hearts, Bronze Stars, Shit. Medal of Achievement. Sharpshooter marksman. Hmm. So they sent it to me when I got back home. It shocked me. Yeah. Okay. So I got three purple hearts. Like those medals I got. Man, I didn't even know that. No. No, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. major. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's. I mean, a purple heart is is one of the highest uh, no, medals the, you can get, right? No, no, medal of honor. Medal of honor. Okay. Right, right. But to get three purple hearts, yeah, I mean, you got just yeah. stuff. Mm -hmm, yeah. Wow. Okay. So we were we were talking about the the civil rights and mm. uh, how. How you were in that era and how what you what you saw with, mm. with your own eyes? Oh man, I seen I seen a lot of things, man. I mean, it, back then, like I said, if you if you was black back in the day, you had to deal with all that, all that all that crap. The white man, like I said, I, I seen the difference between rich white people and poor white people. It was the poor white people that's in lack of. Give you a prime example: when a white guy is poor, he poor. 
A black can be poor, you'll never know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gonna fake the funk. Go, go to get, get, get him a nice suit, walk around like he got something. He really ain't got shit. <laughs> no, no, I'm just keeping it real. That's no, how you that, are. Right, I'm, I'm just you keeping are. it real. You are. But that's why that's why white people call poor white people white trash. You ever, th- you ever heard that, st- yeah, that term? Yeah, absolutely. Or the rednecks, one of the two. So I heard all this. I heard. I've heard all that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so now let's let's jump. You're you're out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what year did you leave Vietnam? I left Vietnam uh, June 1st, 1969. 69. So let's say, let's jump up to 75. What are you doing in 1975? Well, let's, let's jump to 1970. Let's do it. I got out in 1970, and I went to school for the post office because my oh. sister-in-law and my sister, two sisters worked at the post office. And I used to fly home to L.A. right now and then. And my, back then, they had, remember, special delivery? They had station wagon. Special delivery, <laughs> special delivery is like overnight delivery now. And... She would park her, park her, her post office uh, back in that garage, and she'd be home for three or four hours cooking and watching TV. I said, you at work? She said, I'm still getting paid. She said, the post office hired investor. So I went to school for the post office. So when I get out in 1970, mm-hmm. the post office hired me March 1970. Because back then they had jobs then. Think about it, 1970. Yeah. Everything was changing. Versus the 50s when I grew up, when the cars didn't have air conditioning, our cars didn't have seat belts, you know what I'm saying? Now they're making cars to air conditioning, v because back then, I grew up with three on the tree or three on the floor. Yeah. Stick shift, right? That's right. Okay. So that being said, I'm looking. And then and the post, back then, the post office was starting you out with $3.25 an hour. Minimum wage was one ten back then. Oh, wow. That's good You're money. making good money. Yeah, right. With a little bit overtime, I, I, I was up to six. What, I work, what state are you in now? I'm in L.A. Oh, you're in L.A. I'm in L.A. I started working on 39 Crenshaw at 20 years old. Okay. So I was making three twenty five hours. But I worked a lot of overtime. For five years, I saved my money because everything in L.A. was cheap then. I said, I'm going to buy me a house. But a friend of mine I worked with, he had bought a duplex up here off Pico. Pico and uh, off La Brea. Oh, Pico. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, between between uh, Pico and and Washington. Nice duplex. Back then, it was going for $37,000. So I said, man, I'm like, I found all these $5,000. I can buy me a duplex. So I found one in Inglewood on Fairview and Buckler. It went to $32,500 for it. Then my first time by you, I, 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 I didn't know how to bring them down, bring the price down. <laughs> you don't know how to negotiate it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm a first time by you. know, first time right. buyers, man, that's, I mean, you, you really don't know, don't, know, uh, don't know nothing, right? Right. I got that, okay? And by that time, when I bought that, I was making like six bucks an hour. But I was still working overtime. They gave me $9 an hour. But think about it. Gas back then was 50 cents a gallon. Everything was cheap, okay? Yeah. Everything, everything was cheap. But what happened was, 1979, I went to bed one night. They came up with this thing called Proposition 13. Your parents know about it. Proposition 13, that's when everything in LA went up. Houses went up, rent control went out and they, uh, uh, went out the door. They could charge you. You might come on one day, you're paying hundred dollars for rent. The most I would, I would pay for rent in LA, LA was 145 on Farmdale and Rodeo Road across from Dorset High School. Seven nine, all that changed. Went to bed one night, my place was worth about fifty thousand. Woke up the next morning, I'm over hundred. Wow. Okay, that's when everything started going up. So that being said, it might, have, might sound like it wasn't a whole lot of money, but it was. Because you could do a lot with it back then. Yes. You feel? Now I'm, now I'm moving fast forward. The post office told you I have $20 an hour. I got two buddies of mine in Detroit. They're still working. They made $150,000 in three years in a row because they work a lot over time. So it, I worked at the post office from post office 1970 to 1995. I retired. There's a long part that you missed out there in the post office but before we get to that when did you meet uh snoop dogg's mom 
Oh, that's that's easy. Me and Snoop Dogg's mom grew up together. Really? Right, let me take you back on that. Yeah, let's grow back yeah, to yeah. memory lane, baby. Okay, yeah. back my back. Okay, my mom, my mom had twelve kids. Right, the block I lived on it was over fifty kids. Because back then, with no birth control, people was having babies left and right. Okay, like she was selling gas. Okay. <laughs> and this is in in LA. This is Mississippi. Mississippi. Okay. Okay, we both born in Mississippi, right? Mm-hmm. So Snoop's back then, if you if you was a black woman and you were pregnant, a white doctor would not deliver your baby. What? Stu's great grandmother, Ms. Ma Tate, her name was on all 12 of my mom's children's birth certificate. She was a midwife. They had midwives. You, you guys know what midwife yes, is? Yes, yes. They come to your house and deliver your baby. Uh-huh. So she's delivered all 12 of my, my mom's kids. Every kid in my block, she delivered. She was, she was the best midwife in my hometown. So Stu's uh, mother grew up a mile from me. So I grew up with Stu's grandmother, grew up with his uncles. One of his uncles was my classmates. Her kids was around about the same age as ours. They moved to California in 1963. They moved to Long Beach. So we started writing one of the letters. I'm, I'm like, I'm like 14. She like she's like 12 years old. We writing, you no, know, you remember love letters? Yeah, you, of yeah, yeah. Of you 12, 13 years old, you yeah. think you're in love. I call it puppy love. Yeah, that's, that's the best kind. Right. <laughs> so my sister got married to, to, to Stu's mom's brother. So in 1966, I moved, I moved to San Francisco. So I used to ride the bus down from Frisco. To see Snoop's mom, so that's how, that's how I knew Snoop's mom. I've been doing it all my life. Yes. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. And, and then you guys finally hooked up. And well, what happened was, man, we always said we wanted the baby. But what happened was, when I was in Vietnam, my sister-in-law wrote me a letter that said, oh, Beverly's pregnant. I got pissed off because we, I was going to get married to her when I came back from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. But what happened was, when I got back from Vietnam, she was pregnant with, with Snoop's older brother, oldest brother Jerry. We called him Dirty Love. Seven to one. We, left. I've heard <laughs> <of the> raps. <laughs> right. So it's seven to one. We still kicking it. And she get pregnant with Snoop. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm 22 years old. I wasn't ready for no baby. Yeah. So Snoop, it's a long story behind him. Anyway, Snoop, I used to go pick up Snoop, but, but he'd always be crying and stuff. God, I mean, <laughs> God, we, God, his mom was young. I was young. And I'm, I'm still out there in the street. <laughs> so that's how, that's how, that's how, how, how far me and Snoop's mom go back. I know, I know her family, her aunties. I mean, her, her family, great, 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 everybody. Yeah. yeah. So right. now, now let's get into you're you're in the post office, but you ended up actually moving out to uh, Detroit. Detroit, right? You, right. You said that's like your second hometown. That's my second hometown. I spent ten years there from eighty five ninety five. And those were some vicious years out there. Man, let me tell you, here's the deal. Detroit have always I've always heard stories about Detroit. I had a cousin, a first cousin living there, and. I went to Detroit for the first time, what, 19, what, 81. And Detroit, first thing I noticed, it was a party town. It was different in L.A. You know, Detroit was mostly black, right? They was hustlers. Everybody was wearing meat coats, the alligator shoes and stuff. You know what I'm saying? They, 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 was, they was fly up there. It was pimping out there. All that. Okay. So what happened was they had job openings in Detroit. So me, me and a couple of my boys said, man, we're we going to go to Detroit. So... My duplex, I had enough money to buy, to buy my house when I got to Detroit. Because when I got to Detroit, I started working on the, on the west side. You guys know about Eight Mile Road? You see the movie with Eminem, Eight, Eight Mile yes, Road? Eight yeah, mile. yeah. So what is Eight Mile for those of us that don't okay, know? Okay, in Detroit, they got Five Mile Road, Six Mile Road, eight, uh, Seven Mile Road, eight, eight Mile Road. It goes all, all the way up to 25 Mile Road. Okay. A lot of people get confused. They just roads. They, they're really main drag. So uh, I wrote them a letter. They accept my transfer. So I moved to Detroit. I got to Detroit. November 1985. Okay, I'm staying with my cousin. I started working on the west side. And I noticed that in Detroit, man, everybody was going to clubs. Detroit supported a supporter city. The women drink more liquor than guys up there. Okay. <laughs> and they love they, they, they love cocaine. You seen a woman in Detroit with nails done and this pinky finger was like 
I like that. She snorted coke. You, you tell them up right off the bat. And they dress up a lot. The women, Detroit is the hair capital of the world for blacks. The what capital of the world? The hair. They oh, love. Okay. They they do they do, they do better hair in Detroit than in, in the inner city, New York City. Take it for me. Okay. okay. Guys wearing mink coats. Uh, back then they was wearing rabbits. They was wearing uh, rattlesnake. Uh, yeah. uh, alligator shoes. And what, what cars are they driving? Oh, they 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 driving like they driving like Cadillacs and 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 uh, Deucey quarters and stuff. <laughs> it's like some ah, superfly type, right? In the, in the summertime, they drove the good cars. In the wintertime, they drove Jeeps because Detroit it get cold as hell, snows a lot, mm -hmm. right? So the, the first incident I had in Detroit, I had been in Detroit maybe about seven eight months. I'm delivering mail one day. I was working some overtime. The, my post office right here was, it was uh, they had a street called Pembroke. It was, it was a street called Stopham. I'm delivering mail one day, right? Snowing like hell. It's January, cold as hell. But you really don't feel the cold weather because the clothes in Detroit are different. L.L. Bean, they, they, mm -hmm. no matter how cold it be, as long as you're moving, you ain't going to feel nothing. So I'm walking up the block, putting mail in people's houses. There was a car sitting out there running. It was two guys in the car. I ain't, I ain't thinking nothing of it. This is my last block. I'm trying to get through so I can get out in this cold weather, right? So I, I make my loop. They call it a parking loop. I make my loop to come back down to my Jeep. So by the time I get to the house, right across from the house, but the, these guys went to with guns. I'm putting mail in the mailbox, and I seen this one guy knocking on the door. Bam, bam, bam! These two guys broke out the side door. They started running towards me. So he he was left handed, tall, lacking complexion, bro, little young kid. Started shooting. I hear pat, pat. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I got to be seeing shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I seen I seen that smoke and, I'm, and I'm, them shell cases falling on the ground. It was a big bush on his right on the right hand side. I just rolled, I went to my went into my in my Vietnam mode <laughs> and rolled over the bush onto the onto the ground, and he shot two of them. He didn't kill him. He shot him. And here come the police. You know they, they asked me questions and stuff. I told them I don't know nothing. You know, I want to get involved in this stuff. Got my boss house right there. The next block over. Right. First incident. Okay. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I begin to figure out. Okay, Detroit might be what this head is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So another incident I went through. Well, we on North, we on North Fork, going towards Living North. Living North is the main drag, okay. And me and my boys, we, we, we just be out there parking our jeeps and smoking weed and stuff. And you see the, these two cars speeding down North Fork. It was, it was the guy in the, <laughs> in the back of the car shooting at the at the car in the back. Guy in the back hanging out the window shooting at them. It's like a bad dream. <laughs> so what we did, we all crawl up on our jeep. Mm -hmm. Cause they shoot, man. These, I mean, these cats are real. Pow, 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 pow. You get down to the living noise. There's a gross, uh, 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 a drugstore called Glorious Pharmacist. She was in our zone, so we knew her, right? They drove into the parking lot, for They was gonna run, run inside the store, start shooting. So Gloria, everything in Detroit got got basements. She runs in the basement, locked the door. You had a shootout right there. I said, "Damn, man, these cats. This is for real, out here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's for real, man." And then I, I was at a, at a cabaret one night. I, I didn't know what a cabaret was. Cabaret is the big dance that happened in Detroit. Parties, that was like a big party, right? I'm down on the east side on, on Outer Drive and Sherwood Avenue. We had, we had this like cabaret. We, so they had, two, they had the front, they had the back. Meet ma'am, and I'm trying to put, I'm trying to put me up, put me up, babe, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden a fight break out in the next room. And the fight started coming our way. Then it became a free fall. For you know what I did? I grabbed my chicken hawk and walked with me and my boys walked outside, right? That's the next incident. Then maybe about a month later, I'm at this other club on Finkel off Living Noise, right down from St. Francis home from boys and people in Detroit knew, knew what I'm talking about. At this club. 
So I, in the wintertime, I drove a four-wheel drive truck. It was snowing like here. We all had our overcoats on, our scarves and shit. You know, walking to this club. These cats pull up in the van, jump out, out of the van, go inside the club, and here come these guys running towards my truck. They started shooting. We had to crawl beneath my truck. And that's how Detroit was, man. Man, Detroit seemed like it was, it, it was worse than Compton back yeah. in the days, man. The, the, the word I'm getting right now is even worse now. Because they're shooting back at the police. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. But Detroit, like I said, Detroit was a, was a supported town. You, drug drug dealers, uh, I mean. Did you ever run into any, like, uh, very well-known drug dealers out there? Oh, yeah. I knew, I knew Maserati Rick. Maserati Rick. White, well, y'all want to know about white boy Rick. Yes, sir. I saw him twice before he went to prison. I, me, and my, me and Stupid just moved into the house on White Hill. Got the, the west side, I thought the hard guys was on the west side. No, no, it was the east side. They was hard. Had uh, Demetrius Calloway got killed. Maserati Rick got killed. Hoogaloo Brown got killed. They was all over the place, man. They had some cold yeah. names back yeah, then right? too, man. They had some real. That's yeah, a, but that's you get, you get right here. So when I when I transferred to the east side from the west side, I noticed all the drug dealers. They had stash houses, right? And they had a big, you know, those big pit bulls. They have to show up with the fat legs. Yeah, yeah. Like they had one at the front door with a big chain around his neck. On the at the back door, they had boobies. You know what a booby a booby is? No, a big booby was a big a big ass dog, look hairy. Sharp teeth. They had, they had had him at the back door, and they would tell tell us, man, look here, just just throw the mail on the front porch. Oh, they, 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 but they didn't live there. It was a stash house, right? Mm -hmm. So this on the east side. This 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 close to the D piece. You got the east side and the D piece. And I I would go down to a place called Shakeland or Alter Road, and they that's all the drug dealers uh, 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 collaborated at. Most of them drug dealers back then, they they started off uh, selling heroin, and they went from heroin to to blow, but they was connected to Escobar. Okay. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I mean, these are drug dealers. These, I mean, I said drug dealers, drug dealers. Oh boy, some real shit. Oh, the real shit, the real deal, Holyfield. So Detroit is a tough city, man. One thing about Detroit is you mind your business. And stayed in your lane, you had no problem. But you fell in love with the city. Yeah, I fell in love with it. Yeah, I fell in love. I'm saying what? Well, I fell in love with it. It was black orientated. And I, I knew everybody. You no, know, everybody loved the mail, man. And plus, I had a welfare route. <laughs> what's, what's, what's the okay. wait, 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 wait? What's the welfare route? Yeah. You got two kinds of routes in the post office. You got the route, the route with rich people. They get this kind of mail. Welfare route. They don't get a lot of mail. They they work. There's two days they wait for it. The first and fifteenth. <laughs> And we call it Mother's Day. Mother's Day. Right. Damn. Welfare checks. Yep. Welfare. You know when, when, when Mother's Day come, they be in the parking lot at the post office waiting for you. <laughs> so I said to myself, let me put it into this shit. I, I told all, all I had 400, 470 stops on my route. I said, I tell you what, this is my first block that I carry, Ballford and Channel Park. Y'all meet me, all the people people get checks. Meet me on Ballford and Channel Park. I'm gonna get all y'all. I'm gonna get everybody a damn check. Yeah. But you bring me back five dollars when you go pay that the May Rails for all the stuff you ain't got on credit. <laughs> you ain't got the May Rails are selling cigarettes. Yeah. They take a pack of cigarettes and sell them twenty five cents a piece. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. You okay? Yeah. After you go, you go pay, pay, pay. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Abdul, whoever his name is. Abdul Muhammad. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> bring me five bu bucks back. So that money kept me going until I got paid. Cause in the post office you get paid every two weeks, right? Mm -hmm. But at welfare route, your mail's like this. Cause they don't get no damn bills. Yeah, and, yeah. When you, and when you look at your paycheck every time you get paid, you you paying them to jump in your ass 
If you <laughs> if you don't give them your, they check on time. Right. Yeah. Real, I'm serious. Oh yeah. Yeah, they they taking down your check. Hey, it was a service. They're yeah. they're, they're getting it instead of getting it at four o'clock in the afternoon. They're getting yeah, yeah. It the first round. It goes no, no, straight. I had to meet me meet me, meet me on, on 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 my first block to get them all out of the way. But once I got them out of the way, then I can carry my route in peace. Yeah. <laughs> then you got the guys who work for the big three. Cause when I first moved to Detroit, you got Chrysler, Ford, and GM. Mm-hmm. And I lived not too far from, from when they made the Jeeps and the Dodge truck set. They made all them on the east side. Okay. So back, I'll give you another example about Detroit that, that really pissed me off. I bought a, a 1985 Toyota Supra. Okay. Laid out with the, the shed on the back and moved one way on. And my cousins, they worked at Ford. And back then, uh, but, uh, Ford was laying off people because the, the, foreign, the foreigners was, was taking over, the, over over cars because they was making better cars. Right. And one thing they told me in Detroit, when I first got to Detroit, they'll never buy a car that was built on Saturdays and Sundays. That's why, because everybody's drunk. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm dead serious. Yeah. They yeah, said, everybody's drunk. Don't buy a car that was made in the weekend. Mm-hmm. Okay. Remember the American cars, I used to fall apart? Yeah. Foreign cars didn't. I'm dead serious. This is real talk. This is history of what happened to the market in America. Yeah. The right. car market. Do not buy a car that was made in the weekends because they was drunk. <laughs> okay, cause it was liquor store right down the street. Okay, yes sir. Yeah, so I drive. I drive down to Milan, Michigan. These are my dad's people, right? I just told them a long time. They all they live in Barron Springs, Benton Harbor, and I drive. They invite me to the family reunion. I ain't told them in years. I drive down there in my super, and I almost had I almost had a fight. Drive down in my car, and everybody started looking at me like this. So I said, Why everybody looking at me? I thought this would be glad to see me. Man, you driving a goddamn Japanese car. That's oh, why we, enemy that, in Detroit. That's why we lost our damn job. We, we, I mean, some guys that was buying foreign cars, they worked at the plant. They parked the car in, inside <laughs> that parking lot. It was trash when they got when they came outside. Oh shit. I'm dead serious. That's how Detroit was. Right. I'm trying to figure out what are y'all talking about? This is my damn money. I'm gonna spend my money the way I want to. Man, you might as well take your black ass back to Detroit. <laughs> I got in my car and left. <laughs> oh, no, no, they was this man. They was pissed off they with were me. Serious, yeah. yes. But see, I didn't understand. I'm, I mean, I'm from LA, man. You know, LA, you drive all okay. foreign cars. What's the thing back in LA? Yeah, nobody yeah. cared. They, they get, they went off on me, man, because of manufacturing over there. It, because they was losing their job because mm-hmm. the foreign cars were taking over. But aside yeah. from, aside from like the drug issues and all that, Detroit had a big middle class back there. Had a huge uh, home ownership by by African Americans. It was it was a lot of middle class people in Detroit because of the car manufacturing. No, well, you had out of drive, you had Sherwood Forest, you had uh, <coughs> you had Green Acres, right? So that being said, the first house I bought in Detroit was on the east side, huge basement. Two bedrooms in the middle level. They got they call them bungalows. The whole upstairs was mine. My whole upstairs, no offense, was big as your whole house. That was just your bedroom. That's my bedroom upstairs, right? Man. So I I, I bought the house in the 87 for, for 29.5. And I paid cash for it. And the thing and the thing about it, everybody I was working with that was born and raised in Detroit, that I worked with this man, you live on White Hill? I'm looking at that's homeboy. Man, that's a yeah, you pay a lot of money for that for that house, man. Twenty nine thousand five hundred dollars is not even a payment in L. A. Yeah. What are y'all What are y'all talking about? Yeah, I didn't understand it. You know what I'm saying? But everything was cheap. So what I did, what I did, you know, I've always been to real estate. I made my first investment in Inglewood. They had about thirty five thousand houses, empty empty houses in Detroit. My first move there. Coleman Young, he was the mayor. He was trying to okay. They were selling hood houses. If you know anything about hoods, man, they they dirt cheap. I was buying houses five ten thousand dollars a pop. I bought almost three houses my ten years I lived in Detroit, and what what then they they would come out in the newspaper on Fridays, Saturdays you got them bid on, 
Mm-hmm. I had a guy in my route named Johnny Ray. He was born and raised in Detroit. Young kid, he had all kinds of problems. He said, man, I'm going I'm to teach you the game on how to bid. You know, it was always some old heads out there that's greedy. Got, yeah. I knew some guys had a close to 100 houses in Detroit. Oh, these old cats. They knew how to bid on them. So once I learned how to bid, I was buying houses five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a pop. Go downtown, the government would give me money for electricity, the roof, and plumbing. Once I got that done, I had a hand in man to, to go paint it. I would rent them out for two or three years. Okay, get my money back then, I was selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was flipping houses, right. It was a piece of cake for me. So I, I made a lot of money in Detroit. So you were hustling wow. all the time. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still hustling. <laughs> That's what I'm talking right, about. Right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now, did, uh, did uh, Snoop ever live in Detroit with you? Yep. Snoop came to Detroit in 1987. This, um, let, me, let me run this by this side. His music career started out. Oh, okay. his, his mom was having problems out of him. She used to whoop his ass a lot. Because he was he lied a lot and she called him to him and said he's selling crack. Now still we selling crack. He said, Yeah, I said, be careful. I'll sell dope and down. What am I what am I gonna say? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, you're doing the same thing. Well, I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> be careful. I just I just I said be, be careful, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just keeping it real, man. So she sent him to Detroit. So I, I was training carriers then and they had, they had a McDonald's about five blocks from my job. I was kicking it with the manager, Deborah. The guy, Stu, he owned he owned it, McDonald's. I said, I said, Stu, as my son coming up here for the summer, I don't want him laying around. He'd give him a job at McDonald's. He said, yeah, he's burning out anything you want. Yeah. So I told Stu, I said, when you get here, I got a job for you. He had never had a job before. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stu grew up with 21 insane, rolling 20s, gangbanging. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't yeah. used to being around. He was just being around California guys. Mm-hmm. But I knew once he got to Detroit, you're going to be around hard. You're going to be around. Change. Some, big change. 360. Yeah. You come to Detroit, you get, he gets there that night. The next morning, I dropped him off at four thirty at McDonald's. I ain't give him time to get no damn sleep. <laughs> God, I, God, he was, oh, he up there slept all day long. Yeah. And then hung with the homeboys. I said, I'm gonna get him away from this shit. He's 15 years old, right? Mm-hmm. So, get him his first job. And about two or three, three weeks later, every time I would go pick him up, everybody was saying, "Your son is a hell of a rapper." But me and my brothers had a gospel group. I just left them. Yeah. Because I wasn't making no money. But I'm in in Detroit, in Motown, where everything started from. Yes. The temptation, yes. the poor yes. times, yes. wham, wham. Yes. I had been to the yes. museum and stuff. They, they call it the Snake Pit, but they recorded that. Yep. A house on, on Grand Boulevard. I wasn't thinking about no damn rap, man. Mm-hmm. So that being said, one day, i never forget, I was going fishing, and Snoop was rapping. I was Snoop, I had a long day. I don't feel like hearing that shit. <laughs> no, not really. And this is what he told me. Y'all ready for this? You ready for this? Yeah, yeah. This is what he told me. He said, Pops, at 15 years old, he said, one day, Pops, the whole world is going to know who the fuck I am. That's right. At 15 oh, years old. Yeah. He said that at 15. I tell everybody that. Mm-hmm. I laughed at it because it was yeah. the way he said it. <laughs> so when he leave and go back to Long Beach, he graduated in 89. I go out to graduation. I just want to be Warren G. Nate, though. Because they was year ahead of him. Yes. And his mom said, hey, this is Warren G. This stupid best friend is Nate, though. Okay, I met the guys, right? 88, 89. Mm-hmm. So uh, 90, see, 90, uh, 90, Snoop goes to jail. He got the wayside. Yes, he had sold, yes, sold, sold some crack to an undercover cop. Oh, damn. And this is going to lead into his, the first, his first song. Yes. He go to jail, and then 91, he called me, say, Pops, he said, I'm with this rap group called Above the Law. I heard him, but I, would, I wasn't offering a rap. Yeah. I was okay. I said, well, I wish you the best of luck. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to do my last seven years so I can retire. About a week and a half later, he said, Pops, I'm with Dr. Dre. I didn't know who Dr. Dre was, but some of the younger guys that was 13, 14 years older than me at the post up, Tommy, Tommy Davis, a dear friend, he retired too. 
He came, he walked, he lived walking distance from my house on the east side. He came to my house one night. He brought me the album, NWA. I said, what that means for niggas with attitude. I said, I'm, 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 I don't know shit about rap. Yeah. He's man, if you're signed with Dr. Dre, he, he finna become a millionaire. I said, yeah, right. Okay. I didn't know who Dr. Dre was. Mm-hmm. So, 9-1, November, he calls me. He says, hey, Papa, I just wrote my first song for Dr. Dre. And what happened was, Warren G had been telling Dre about Stoop all along because they know his stepbrothers, right? Yes, yes. And Dre's man, I got time to fuck that little, that little nigga, man. I almost want to hear him. So Dre gave a party one night, and Warren G slipped the CD in. And they played his Snoop song all night long. And Dre said, who's that little nigga? He said, hey, Warren G said, that's, that's what I've been telling you about. Mm-hmm. Dre called him the next day. He said, hey, man, you want to you make records? He called Snoop. Snoop thought he said, hey, who's this, Dr. Dre? Man, you ain't Dr. Dre. You want to make records? <laughs> right. And, right. And it clicked. He said, yeah, I want to make records, so. He made the, okay. He wrote his first song. He called me, say, "Pops, I wrote, wrote my first song, Deep Cover, in an hour and forty five minutes." I'm still living in Detroit, right? Yes. He said the movie comes. He said I wrote for a soundtrack, Deep Cover. The movie was Lawrence Fishburne. Mm-hmm. Remember mm-hmm. the ninety right. one? Yes. yes, sir. So what happened was, he called me. The movie came out January twenty first, nineteen ninety two. He said, "Pops, go see the movie." So a bunch of young guys with the, with the Eastland Mall to me with me to the movie, right? He watched night and they played the song. After the movie was over, I said, it's time pretty good. But what caught people's attention was one that 187 on an undercover cop. Mm-hmm. And then creep with me as I crawl through the hoods, maniac, lunatic, call him stupid Eastwood. Uh-huh. And I'm listening to the show. I said, you sound pretty damn good, right? So in in March, Stu called me say, man, Shook and Dre want to meet you. They want to know where I got my musical talents from. If they're going to fly you out here, right? So he flew, he flied me out there, right? And I'm all dressed up. I'm thinking I'm going to be in limousine because I know you're going to sold a lot of records. <laughs> So he had got in jail by then. It was him, my nephew, dad. You know, dad's yes, from Dogtown. Yes. That's my that's my nephew and and and, and half did. They had their report waiting on me. So Subek got tall by then. He was about six three, six four. So when I get my luggage and stuff, I'm thinking I'm I'm riding a limousine. And I walk outside. They got an old seven eight blue Monte Carlo, full of McDonald bags and and Popeye chicken bags that I left to sort of recycling company. And Stoops say, Pops, you got ten dollars. I have ten dollars for what? We need some gas. How you got to hit record out, man? How you got to hit? You got to hit record. I'm kids, serious, man. Kids, I tell you. How you got to hit record out? He said, "Pop, if, if you ain't got ten dollars, we can make it back back to my apartment." Yeah. All right, money. Put some gas in the car. I drove, folks. He lived. He lived on on, on Whitley and Franklin in Hollywood, mm-hmm. of Sunset. Yes. On the corner, it's apartment there. Was it was a big dip in the back. A lot of people just hear the car, bam, you know what I'm saying? I go, walk inside his apartment, I see all these drug addicts outside. Man, what kind of shit is this? Go inside his apartment, he was living with the DOC, hmm. the doc. Yes. The doc had lost his voice because he got the car accident. I, first time beating doc. This is 92. Go in the uh, kitchen, he, he had a sound on his refrigerator saying, if you didn't bring shit, don't fuck with shit. <laughs> but when I, but when I, when, I, when I opened the door, wasn't shit in there. <laughs> so I was okay. Let me go buy you some groceries, right? Yeah. So this is the first incident with Shug. They was they was using they was on at Solar Records on 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 Kahunga, Dick Griffith. Okay, he had let them run out, run out the sixth floor. So this is my first time meeting Doctor Trey. We go down there. It was walking distance, right? Shug got everybody raging, everybody then walking distance. Walk down there. Go inside the studio, sixth floor. Walk upstairs. No, by me living in Detroit, I wasn't used to seeing a whole bunch of guys. About 25, 30 guys in the studio. Pants hanging off their ass and shit. All gangbangers and shit. It didn't bother me. I'm a Vietnam vet. I don't give a shit about these clowns, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. see Dr. Dre sitting over there and something told me, that's Dr. Dre. I, I introduced myself. 
So they make they working on the chronic. So so I'm asking this ninety two. I'm asking I'm asking Dre. I'm asking Dre. Is anybody gonna buy this shit? Dre said, "Man, we going platinum." I didn't know what platinum was because back in my day it was it was gold records. Yes, I know what platinum was right. So they are working on that. I stayed out there for about two weeks. The second day we supposed to be going to the studio. Dre pulls up at Stoop's apartment on Woodland Franklin. He had two guys with him, two big guys. He was driving a gray BMW 750. It was an old ass car, right? <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize he was doing that bad, right? But this is my, this is my second time being around Dre. He told Suge, we're not going to, to the studio today. Some shit went down last night with Suge. He shot, he shot up, got into some guys and shot mm-hmm. up in the cellar. Okay. So, so I had met Suge then, but I, I finally met Suge. Suge didn't have shit. Dre didn't have shit, right? So. I stayed there for I stayed there for two weeks. Went back to Detroit, and they still working on the chronic. I think around the summertime, I'm driving to work one morning. I heard one, two, three, until the four. Okay, it was dark. That's, damn, that's time pretty good. It was Stoop and Dre. Yeah. Them the G thing. Yes, that that record got them to where they are right now. Mm-hmm. And I get to the post office. Man, you hear that song? Your song just made. Who went where? I'm there. Here come the haters in the post office. Oh, of course. Here they come. Okay. Now they had haters even back then. Right. 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 Yeah. So, so Dre brought me back out to LA, and and that's when they they uh, did they uh, did he did let me ride first. He put me in that video. Came back out for nothing but a G thing. So I I got interested in the film. So the album took off. Stoop them came out to Detroit on a promotional tour. They had a club called Club International. Uh, Cuba just left there, right? And another time, Kid Rock. Kid Rock, he was big. You know, Kid Rock. Yes, yes. He from Michigan. Just for him and them. Then I started hearing rumors at the post. I was man, he got this white guy named Eminem. Live across Eight Mile Road. He got a hell of a rap move. Went well. So when student came to Detroit, I went downtown. It's right next to the bus station, and we was going. We was going to our. <coughs> we was going to Club International, right down in Mexican. You got a place in, uh, in Detroit called Mexican Village. All Latinos, right? It's in that area. So, go down to the club, and they start performing, right? They start throwing these throwing glass throwing, throwing glasses at Stoop and Dre. They blocked them. They were still rapping. They blocked them. those those thick rim glasses, mm-hmm. and they threw one on the floor and hit me on my damn mic. And I went down to I went down to the floor, right? Got through that shit, and that's when I began to realize that the rap game wasn't like R and B. We had a hotel room. Sugar had bucked off the whole floor. So here come the groupies. That's the first time I ever seen the groupie. I heard about them. Yeah. Now I'm seeing groupies, right? So once he, the floor got full of women, Sugar had his bodyguards. Don't let anybody in, right? So Stoop them. They had a babe and stuff. And this way he got married, right? And some guys downstairs say, man, tell Dre stupid. They got a woman. We're going to call some homeboys up to to to, to to fuck them up, right? But the cats I would, I work with from the east side, they they said, well, you have to call that guys to fuck y'all up first. Because <laughs> this is how Detroit is, right? Yes. So we, we kind of squashed that. And from that point on, man, then the next time, this is a, this is a 92, next time, Suge them was on the promotion of the tour, and what happened was, they was in Milwaukee, and Suge had some of his homeboys beat up the limousine drivers, and they took the limousines. Back then, new supporters calling me, man. You, who went where? Well, I'm supposed to be going on two at my clothes pack. Stupid went back to LA. I'm, I'm, I'm asking, what's going on, man? This part really got deep into the rap game, right? Right. So, what's going on? He said, man, sugar them, this, did, did this, and did that. So, that being said, 90, uh, 
93, I go back out there, shoot a video, and there's a soup called this murder case, right? So, from I told Shoes wife to move them out of the neighborhood of Ben Way. I said, because some drama going on, and these, uh, a, a gang up there called you Buy Yourself Hustlers. And they was messing with Soup Nim. I'm telling uh, Shoes wife, Sharitha, because she was their manager back then, get them out of this neighborhood. She wouldn't do it. I'm at, I leave Detroit and I had a bad feeling something was going to happen. You know, you're a father, man. You kind of yeah, feel me. You, right. you, know, you got kids. You kind of mm-hmm. feel that shit. No, it's intuition. Yes, Am I right or wrong? Yes, sir. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So about one third of my cousin called me. She said, you heard about Stoop now? I just heard about what? It was a murder case. Man. And I'm thinking, well, you probably, probably bullshit. And then my niece called me. Then my other niece called me. I knew right then something was wrong. So I called Shug's wife and asked what was going on. She wouldn't tell me shit. So I called her back. I'm pissed off now. I'm wide awake. Got the call in sick. And she finally told me what happened. And uh, I saw her seeing Stoop's picture. Murder case and stuff. What really get what pissed me off was they put him on Time magazine with a uh, skull cap on saying number one with a bullet. You know, quite naturally, my corporate started talking shit. Okay, your son, I came to people whistling, uh, came to this business, you know, jacked his career off. No, I didn't think none of it, man, right? You know what I'm saying? So I saw going back and forth to court with him. Then. When was the first time after he caught that murder, when was the first time you actually spoke to him? Now, I spoke to him right after that. We got in jail because the bodyguard. And what was that conversation like? I asked him what I, I never asked him what happened. I, I asked him, "Was you all right?" I'm not the type father going to ask what happened, man. Right. I didn't want to go off in detail. It was worse enough him being in trouble. Yeah, you so supported just, him. Right, right. So why add fuel to the fire? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. But I know Malik was in jail and, and Suge bails bail soup out and uh, a million dollars and and at the I, I think he had he, he put up hundred thousand dollars ten percent of that. Right. right. Yeah. Here come my here come now here come my family members. Oh, Stoop got $100,000. I'm trying to figure out why the fuck everybody worried about Stoop. That's my damn son. That's yeah. his business. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm not worried about your kids. Yep. Right. So why everybody, everybody's focus was on Stoop as as I speak today. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, Suge prolonged the trial for about two and a half years. Okay, so, Snoop, them, they really weren't doing no shows back then. No, it was, I began this, uh, this guy named DJ Black. They called him Kevin Black. He called me one day. He said, man, your son finna be the biggest rapper in the world. It still didn't hit me, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't know shit about rap. He's even to change the whole phase of rap. It still didn't hit me, okay? And he said, uh, but you just come out here and see what's going on with Death Row. So I went back out there again, and Suge had all, all Death Row officers, they was on Worcester Boulevard. He was on Worcester and, and Worcester Boulevard, right down from UCLA. <laughs> he had Bloods on one side. He had Crips on the other side. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, I couldn't tell the difference. I've seen guys walking back and forth. I didn't know shit about gangbang, but I really didn't give a shit about none of them, really. I'm a Vietnam vet, okay? Bring it. I don't give a shit. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you've been in the shit. I've been, yeah. around, I've been around the baddest motherfucker in the goddamn world. I'm a deal. You think you, yeah, you don't mean shit to me. That's how I feel. Yeah, I got okay? this. Okay. So, so that, uh, I seen what was happening and stuff, man. I know the student was always had the head down and went well. And one day, I was, I was at Stupid Stupid's apartment. It was me, him, a big C style, all the homies. And Stoops said, Pop, you got more money than anybody in this building. Nice. That's what you mean. This half yet, that's this half the chronic. Yeah. I'm knowing having oh, they're wow. sold millions of records on the crank. I said, What do you mean? He said, man, he said, man, he said, we handcuffed and we're gonna leave death row, but we can't. He said, God damn, man. I said, ain't nothing I can do for you, so I'm still working at the post office. So when his child started in 95, that's when I took early retirement. I had to be there for him because I was seeing him on TV with his pants sagging and shit. If I called him one day, I'd still here's the deal. Give me your suit size, send me a thousand dollars, let me go. Get you about eight, nine suits. I've called Ted Bunny was a serial killer. You wore a suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look like a right. you look like a hoodlum. 
Yeah. I was, let me dress you up. So, you know, Stoop is tall, 6'5". You look good in suits. suit. So that's changed his whole persona. Mm-hmm. So I retired. I had suits every day. So I, I was going to, if you see his clippings, you see me every, at the courthouse of Stoop every single day. From December up, up right. until April. You see, I was with him every day. Okay? Supporting. Okay? But a lot of people don't realize, but I, I sacrificed seven years of my of my life taking early retirement from the post. I lost money behind that. Mm-hmm. I didn't give a shit. I said, I said to yeah, myself, your if you're going to go down, I'm going down with you. Okay? But I had a backup plan. I had five houses in Detroit that was paid for. So I had an income. Mm-hmm. I could always go back to Detroit and, and, and show up my landscaping business because I grew up in landscaping. That wasn't a problem. So he finally got acquitted. And uh, he got acquitted, man. Uh, he was still doing crazy shit. Still. How, how, did, how did that? Let's, let's, let's roll back a mm. little bit. When, before the verdict, how were you feeling? Was there any time that you thought, man, maybe I'm about to lose my son to the, you know, to the prison system or anything like that? One day, i never forget, it's courtroom on 3rd and Hill. And we, the, all, all, all murder trials on the ninth floor. Mm-hmm. And let me take it back to what Suge was doing. At first, me and Stu Troy riding to, uh, to the uh, courthouse in Lincoln. Went from Lincoln to a Rolls Royce. Not knowing that Suge was, t- was charging my son all along for all that shit. Damn. Then he went and got a motor home. You ready for this shit? To where, during lunch break, we go in the motor home and chill. You know? And every time, we pull it, every time we pull inside the parking lot on 3rd and Hill, all the workers wish my son the best. Cameraman filmed us from the time we got out in the car until we got into the courtroom. It was just total chaos. Circus. Johnny Crockett post had stupid first. Johnny Crockett told me, he said, man, I can't, I can't represent your son. He's going to give him a David Kenner. And I'm going to give Sean. I'm going to take Sean. He's got every white person in the world want to kill me because I won OJ case. Mm-hmm. I never forget right. what Johnny Crockett told me. He's the every person, every white person in the world want to kill me. He's like, he's like, I can't take your son. So that's when Dave Kenner got to. Around about the, the month and a half into the trial, Dave Kenner and Suge, we was in the parking lot one day, and they guaranteed me, said, man, your son's not going to prison. I, I mean, that's my first time I've been in the courtroom. I've seen how, how, how the judge play one another. They, they are DAs and stuff. They go to the family, the victims first, and make it sound, and they get to crying and shit, and then yep. they want the, the court to sympathize with him. Then they, they come to Snoop, and they, they make shit sound so all out of yep. whack, right? So now I'm in, I'm, I'm in this shit. I'm looking at this shit, man. I know uh, Ed Nilsson, he wanted my son so bad he could taste it. Okay. So what happened was, man, we got through all this bullshit and it gets to the verdict. We had dad's house up in Silver Lake. And we finally got the phone call. So they, they came to a verdict. Go back to the courthouse and they and they, they got acquitted. And, and it, yeah. it was a silent relief, okay? Yep. But Stu was still doing a lot of shit I didn't like. I told my son, boy. I'm at your house in Claremont by myself, 5,000 square foot, off Monte Vista. You stand on Wilson Boulevard in Park. Because Park came to Death Row in 95, December. Yes. Park lived across the street from, across all from Sue. I'm out here by my damn self. I'm looking at the cameras every night. Well, I'm knowing I'm being watched by cops. I'm knowing I'm being watched. One night, some of his homeboys came out and broke his headlights out of his car. I got all these pit bulls with me. I'm not a dog lover. I'm an ex-male man. Dogs chase me every <laughs> goddamn day. <laughs> Right. Okay, I mean, I'm gonna deal with this pit bull. Oh no, uh-uh. okay, okay. Then they had dog face all the time. Okay, and what happened was, man, uh, he finally moved me from Claremont into uh, to 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 Luke Lake on, on Moore Park, right up the street. Right, I feel kind of half ass safe there, right? But I noticed that 
Think about it. I left my job. I'm making six five or seven thousand dollars a year. Now I ain't making shit. Cause Stoops didn't really tell me the real that that Chug wasn't really paying them shit. So a lot of shit was going down then. So one day Daz, he had bought he, okay, Shug, when Stoop wanted one of his brother case, Shug got him a Rolls Royce. He got a pocket Rolls Royce. He was gonna deal with Hammer, but I guess he found that Hammer was in, in so deep of debt, he left him alone. I think the 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 uh uh, yeah, he left him alone. But what happened was, man, the way the pot came in the picture, Stoop and Daz had, had devil pot before, right? And I was right there at Can-Am Studio when, when Pac was in jail. Wouldn't nobody get him out. He had, I think he had been in jail for almost a year. He was catching yeah, pure hell in right. jail. Yeah. And Suge said, he said, I want to I get a vote on who want me and David Kennedy to go up to New York and get, get Pac out in jail. Stoop and Daz said, man, get him out, man. So he, he'll be right in with us because they knew him, right? Mm-hmm. So they they they're the ones who brought Pac to death row, not knowing all the shit was gonna happen the next year, right? Yeah. So for Pac, he was in trouble, and what happened was a lot of people don't realize Pac he was he was, he was, he, was, he got shot out with Interscope. He was a star before he came to death row. Let's face fact. Yes. He just yeah. got locked up in jail. So so he was with with uh, Jimmy Iovine them at death at Interscope. So when Suge got him, Interscope was giving death row distribution. So it was like a that's a, that's a changeover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. He, he was causing too much drama for what's the name for? He blended right in with Death Row. Uh, Park was the type cat that, yep, 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 he's always talking. But you see him on TV, that's where he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was real tight with Park. I don't think Park, I don't think those rappers had, didn't have back in the day that Super had, Super had me. I was everybody's dead here. Mm-hmm. You feel me? I've been with them cats 30 some years, right? And I tried to lead them in the right direction. But Super have always had me. So that being said, Dad's coming one day. He say, "Pop, I'm gonna come out and pick you up. I'm gonna take you up to Death Row Records." Cause Dad moved up there on on a, on a Worcester Boulevard in San Vicente. Mm-hmm. He was sure done took all his Stoops cars, Nate Dogs cars, and Rage's car. And I know the Stoops looking off damn sad, right? I, when I got to Claremont, I go up there. They took the cars and stuff, shot pan them and everything. Rage was standing with Stoop. I'm trying to ask Stoop what's going on, and so I tell him the story. Right? He he's about to really lose everything. I never forget. I met I met Master P at Washington. I saw him at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffle with Daz. You know, back then, rappers was kind of hating them when they give a little nod and keep walking and shit. <laughs> so I'm asking Daz, who was this man? That's Master P. Okay, so I'm I'm uh, stupid. Had a little had a, a little gazebo in his backyard. My dad cleaned up one day. I get a phone call, and yeah, I'm, and today I don't know how Master P got my number. He called me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, was, I was like, who the hell is this, man? This Master P. <laughs> I'm sorry, who the hell is this? Master he's, he's, he's just Master P, man. Bring you born down. He's bring you born down to no limit. He's like, I know where you're from, Pops. Come to find out, my cousin worked for him that I had never met before, right? I grew up 45 minutes from New Orleans. I know where P came from, the, the Calapos projects and Cash Money, Money Boys, right down the street to Magnolia's, right? So bring you born and five when Stoop got on my Stoop, I said, Cause wouldn't nobody go didn't nobody want to fool with Stoop because of that death row shit. I got Stoop on his first big tour, a lot of blues. I was at the William Morris on Gregory Gregory and Wister and now Wister Boulevard, me and Bill White, his manager, all day long trying to convince them to put Stoop on his tour. This is the first tour, big tour he ever went on. Lollapalooza, mm-hmm. 97, yes. 45 cities, two and a half months. Got him on that. So, so I I, I told two after Stoop, man. Go down with Master P. I'm saying, I said, because at the end of the day, you can put money in your pocket, right? So, 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 how do you speak to your son? I mean, okay, so he's arguing with 
Tupac. Tupac dies a month later. No, no, let, let me. And then he goes to he he leaves Death Row, and then he goes to No Limit. Like, how do you support? And what do you say to him to like keep? Because I, I mean, if my best friend died, and then all of a sudden I gotta leave Death Row, I gotta leave my record label, and then now I got a, a, a an opportunity to go to another record label. I mean, my mind would be screwed. Well, what I wouldn't know what to think. But what happened was, don't forget, Drake was the first one to leave to leave Death Row. Mm-hmm. Okay, because when Pac came came to uh, Death Row before he came to Death Row. Dre was used to working in a quiet environment, Can-Am yeah. Studios. I, I was in a studio with them every day, but I didn't know what was happening behind closed doors, what my business, right? So when Pot came, Pot started bringing people in. Mm-hmm. You know, the Outlaws, Thug Live, Dre wasn't used to that shit, okay? So Stoop called me one day, he said, Pop, Dre just left that row. I said, you didn't go with him? I got mad. He said, yeah. Pop, I can't go with him. He's some handcuffed. I said, well, where's your being handcuffed? He said, we can't, we can't leave that row. The contract. Right. So what happened was, when Pot got killed and the went to jail, they gave him out. So mass people went up there and did, him and Suge chopped up. I don't know what happened. Don't know what don't want to know what happened. Yeah. He went up there and, and Stoop gave he went from Stoop Dog and Dog to Stoop Dog. Suge wanted this, he wanted that. So that's how all this shit came about. So I had this singer from Colton out by Riverside. He was gonna sign up, right? So so me and Stoop went to a video this P was filmed up there at Legion, at Legion Park, where he trained mm-hmm. cops at. So that's that's when I really got I met P. And he flew me, Snoop, Daz, Chun Dog down to Baton Rouge. Because this was the first thing we did, we stopped in Houston. He had a show at the summit. No Limit Soldiers. Place was packed. But I can tell Snoop wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. But and his music story changed because he didn't have Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre is the only person I would say that can bring the best out of my son. Because Dre, he didn't care who he was. He go, he keep it in the studio all day long, two or three days. So you get it right. And to the right. But he got with, with P, it was like, he had beats by the pound, Moby Dick, and this guy, guy named Fing. But the first thing I noticed about P, how he ran his company, he's down to Baton Rouge, right? He gave me a, a sheet on what I could do and what I couldn't do. And Death Row, you can be in the studio with, with the artist, you can do this, do that. Everything went. Mm-hmm. And when we was at Can Am Studio, the first time I went to Can Am, it was me, Nate Dog, Daz, and student. Everybody started pulling out guns. I seen sandbags up against the windows. I'm trying to say, this got them Vietnam away. <laughs> it was just on, on Reseda and Arkansas Boulevard. Mm-hmm. He had to make a left. It was backed up in the, in the cut, right? So, Nate Dog pulled out a, a Magnum 44, big as Dirty Harry. I said, God damn. <laughs> and Stoops A Pops is better be caught with him than be caught without him. I'm trying to figure what the hell's going on. So, that's the first thing I noticed. When I, when I got down to Master P, there was no violence. No, we said no limit soldiers. He had them just like soldiers. He said, hey, Pops, you can't be in the studio with your son. You can't do this. You can't do that. I have to respect that. I mean, now I begin to see the difference between Shug and P. And then I seen people's business, man. He had bought the governor's mansion in Baton Rouge. He had bought all his, all his artists' houses. Governor's mansion. In, inside of the golf course. The white people didn't like it at first. <laughs> but when you when start buying, buying land and, and building stuff for the kids, they love him. Okay. So I begin to see, okay, he's your businessman. But I know where he came from. My cub, my dad, all my dad's people came from New Orleans, and they, they lived in projects called New Orleans. Was never projects before Katrina. Well, I was out in New Orleans all the time. I, this place, to be honest, no offense against New Orleans, I know I've never liked New Orleans. That place always gave me the creeps. They always talk about voodoo and <laughs> graves on top of the ground because it's, it's below sea yeah, level. Right? Around. <laughs> so, so you get down there. He gave him thirty five thousand dollars sign up bonus. He was there for three years, right? I would fly back and forth. My hometown was like long, only 45 minutes away. 
So Snoop got a chance to meet his great grandmother and everybody. I made sure he met his people. To me, that's important mm -hmm. to know your folks. Yes. My mom and everybody on the weekends, <coughs> we come back up to Mississippi and hang out with them and stuff. And uh, I can tell Snoop wasn't happy, man. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he didn't have that good smoke down there. They down there, so he spoke. Y'all, you guys spoke blunt side. They spoke backwoods down there. And we took, we tear our back with it. It's like putting the puzzles back together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it really is. So anyway, uh, he's missing L.A. and the whole lifestyle. You think? Who? He, oh, he was, he was missing the bad. He has Chante down there with him. So Pierre bought up my house. So what happened was, man, that's when I came out with the West Side Riders, which is coming out next, uh, next yeah, week on the twenty sixth. Yeah. So. He fought his uncle St. Charles. He was the one who gave me my, my, my record deal. Come to find out, he had gave a piece for his record deal on Ice Cream Man. Bayside oh, Distribution in Sacramento. So I had Stoop on my album, and he's still on my album, right? And he done gave him the green light. They probably can use my son, dad's, they all the same guys. They all said you can have the song. They kept it publishing, right? So, so uh, people was coming back from overseas with Stoop. He had gave me my girl $15,000 and you forgot about us, because now you guys too. Okay, I, I, I begin to see, no offense against P, I begin to see the right on the wall. So I saw him in Detroit. I think it was Cobra Hall. He tell me, hey, Pops, you know I can sue you. I've sued you for what? Because you got your son on the album. I said, I can sue, I, I'm going to counter sue you. He said, what? Because you brought me down there with my girls that you was going to sign up, give $15,000. You forgot about us, because all you wanted was Snoop. Okay, I just kept it real, man. Yeah. I mean, you, go, you go right there. But he didn't know. He couldn't sue me no way. Alfonso Garcia was the one put the put up the five hundred thousand dollars for, for all, put up all the money. That was his money. Westside Riders. Westside Riders, right? He disappeared. Okay, okay. Six Four Joe was the one called me nine months ago. That's how I hooked up with Gold Toast. Hey, now, man. Now Westside Riders. Who was on that actual? It was a CD back then, right? Eighteen songs. I, I had half guys from the Bay, half guys from from, from, man, from, from, from that's historic right there. Right, eighteen songs, man. But but they were all they were on mm -hmm. CD back then. On the on CD back then, and they all platinum artists. They're all platinum. And what they, what they all did, he is, he's, I did my research, he sold like about five million copies over Amazon. Okay? and But the album never was put out there to where the, to the, the public. Right. But right. by me putting it back out next week, now the public going to get a chance to hear it. Mm -hmm. I'm dropping Snoop first, I'm dropping Dad second, I'm dropping JT the bigger figure, I'm going down the line. Like that? That's, that's, that's the names you got in there. Gold Toes, sitting right here. You gave me a, a nice distribution deal. See, what I did, see, back then, I, I didn't know nothing about the game. Now it's been 23 years I've been in the game, going on 34 years. I know the game now. Yes. I, know, I know distribution is the key. And bring the right shit. Right. Bring the right music. I got the bomb. I got a nuclear bomb that album, the West Side Riders, trust me. And now they're doing digital and streaming and all this kind of stuff. You know, back then, they had street teams and you had to go to the record store, everybody wants to see you and stuff. I sold a whole lot of records in, in Oakland. On Seventh Third Street in in East Mount Mall, that I mean that album was going like this. But he took the first half. He paid us the first half of money. The second half, he never saw it. Disappeared on you. He disappeared. Now you know what goes around comes around. Now I got my stuff back. Okay, Gold Toast gave me a distribution deal. So twenty six the next weekend. It, it seems to me like the like the the music business is just as cutthroat as a dope game, huh? The only way you are gonna learn about the music business, you got to get screwed. You can't get screwed. Yep. Everybody, everybody I talked to. First time I heard that. Everybody I talked to from the Temptations, everybody been screwed in this business mm -hmm. called. You no, know, when you first come to the music business, everybody's all excited. And they forget it's music, music first, but it's a business. That's why he calls it music business. Music business. I when I went into driving limousines two years, right? I drove a lot of artists, man, who had had, had uh contracts because back then it was seven years statute of limitation. 
to where you suck for, for seven years. I've drove artists, man, to where I, I give you an example, Coolio. You know who Coolio is, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. Rest remember, in peace. remember he had that album out called uh, uh, Gangsta Paradise? Yes. He made a lot of money on the album. He told me flat out, I was driving him one night. He's a Papa Snoop. My second album, I'm used in New York and I push my record. He said, I go up there and walk the down floor with the homeboys. My ready to kill everybody up there. Yeah. He said, what they do, they promote your first album. And once they make a lot of money on you, they don't give a shit about the other two or three albums. And all that resonated towards me. Mm -hmm. And I was like a fly on the wall. You no, know, Snoop had a lot of people kissing his ass, running behind him, just want to hang around him because he was Snoop. Yeah. I'm just dead. I don't run behind nobody. I don't give a shit. Jesus Christ. I, okay? <laughs> I might wave back to you, you depth. Yes. I'm gone. Yes. You feel me? But that being said, I was, t I was taking notes. Like I told Stu a couple days ago, I want to thank you. I want to thank Dr. Dre, Warren G, everybody that I've been around for, get, for letting me know how the game go. I seen what you guys went through. I'm not going through that bullshit. Right. I was told Stu a long time ago and Dre now, if I was had to be in this business, I'm going to have to run my own shit. Yeah, I, 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 I seen everybody get screwed. And I'm trying to figure out why. I made you millions, but you're not really giving me what I, what I got to do. I'm not, I'm not going to be that way. My artist was sitting right over there, West. Big West from Texas. That's my first artist. Stephens and West started making millions. I'm going to pay him before I pay myself. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's something my dad taught me. Pay them first because you might need them again. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And God don't like ugly, man. You screw, when you mess up with people, they got a thing called karma. That's right. And, and karma has no timeline. It hits you when you least suspect That part. No, it hits you when you least suspect That part. Just that simple. For you, if you treat people, my, my, my dad would always tell me, if you stay right, everything will be all right. People know me, I stay right. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I ain't never screwed up. I ain't never messed up with nobody, man. It, it come back, come back to bite your ass, man. It's amazing that you, you tell the story of your of your son and Dre because from from an outsider's stance, I would have thought by the time they were doing the chronic that they were balling oh, out, yeah. that they uh -uh. had all this money. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. They were getting screwed all that time. Man, stupid didn't have shit, man. Okay? He didn't have nothing. He didn't tell me about it. I had to find out the hard way. But one thing I do know, one the last album we did, we we, we had Cobo Hall in Detroit. Last song he made for the album he made, he he made for P was uh, "Last Meal." As a father, I knew what that meant. It's your last album. Mm -hmm. I told Stupid tonight, cause he, I mean, I can tell he wasn't happy at all. I Stupid, look here, you have, you have made money for sure. You have made money for P. The darker style stuff you was talking about, start your darker style label. up. Because right. people come to see you, they're not coming to see P. Yeah, they're exactly. not. They're not coming to see Suge. Suge, they come to see you. Yes, uh, you are. You are a, 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 a star of the show. Yes, sir. And that's what he did. So once once he got that, he found Cashmere Entertainment, Ted Chong. The rest is history. Here we are. Yes, sir. You know your your son is easily one, if not the most known face in rap around the world. He's one of the more rec recognized yes. rappers in the world. Yes, How did it feel to see Snoop at the Super at the Bowl? Super Bowl, man? Oh man, it brought back a lot of a lot of memories, man. Cause like I said, I knew they was gonna, they was gonna do nothing but the G thing, but but here's the deal. Let me say this: back in the day when they were shooting videos, that wasn't Suge doing that. It was Dr. Dre. Yes, he all the videos. Think about it, when Dr. Dre left Death Row, them videos wasn't the same. Yeah, that's right. Am I right or wrong? No, you're, no, right. you're right. You're right. Now, you're right. when they played the Super Bowl, I was really shocked. I think Jay Z hooked it up for him. I think, if not mistaken. But that was the best Super Bowl show I, I've ever yes, seen. Yes, yes. Hands down. They, they, they set the bar so high. Yes, they did. They set the bar so high that right, everybody right. comes behind it now. It's like, eh. Yeah. No, no, no. They, they can't duplicate that, man. Dr. Drake was Dr. Drake was the one who put it together. 
Absolutely. Chris, put the phone number up there real quick. I'm sure some people want to talk to Pops over here. Man, this is just a, a walking history right here. Right? The, the only thing that hurt with that Super Bowl is all those dancers on the 60, what, 63, 62. Oh, yeah. You They're sitting on the hood of these cars. <laughs> right. and I'm like, what are they doing? Yeah, man. Like, you got dancers, girls with high heels. Just, just uh, right, 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 right. Their hoods. I'm like, right. no. Yep. Yeah, that hurt me. That hurt. <laughs> yeah, you, you, th- you thought about your car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you ain't let them walk. Hell no, nobody gonna walk in my car. You ain't gonna walk in my shit yeah, either. Yeah. <laughs> ain't no way. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, that, that I mean, the whole video, that whole Super Bowl show, that was man, that was top of the line, yeah. man. So I know yeah. t- it took you a while. When did you finally realize? Because you, you know, you said my, you know, rap. When did you finally realize? Yeah, my son's a superstar. I'm gonna tell you when I realized that. '96, when I, when I retired, when Stu won his murder case, mm-hmm. we went overseas. This is when I realized how big he was. We in London, right? They had the BBC called Tops to the Pops. It's like American Bandstand, mm-hmm. Soul Train. Back then, Phil Collins, you know about Phil Collins, yeah. right? Yes. Su, su, Yes. He was a star back then, right? Stupid had only been in the game, what, about four years, right? So we go to Tops to the Pops. Because they, they had two stages. Phil Collins was over here. <coughs> Super over here, right? We walk in and stuff. So you know, like how they have a crowd around you. It's all it's all faking shit. You know what I'm saying? Cure Young when Stu walked in. Guess what? This is no lie. Before he was got on stage, everybody that was watching Phil Collins ran to Snoop. Left him here and there by himself. There you go. I said, "Damn!" And I'm knowing. I'm knowing. Color. I'm knowing. Give us a second color. I'm knowing who Phil Collins is. That's that's the beginning. But it got worse. When, worse when I got to uh, the Amsterdam in the green light district, where you, where you buy a smoke at, right? We walk inside. You, you seen people walking up down the street. You know, these little smoke shops. They got strings in them. And when you go walk inside, you got the menu. You can buy this. I seen the Acapulco Gold and Panama Red. I said, fuck all the, rest, the other shit. I want Acapulco Gold and Panama Red because that's why I grew up smoking when I first moved to Cali. The real shit, right? right. We smoke. You ready to come back to the bus? We didn't see nobody, but a few people walking up down the street. I swear to God, man, less than five minutes, we were surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of kids. <laughs> And we couldn't, the bus couldn't move. That's my really, I feel stupid. You big over here, then you're overseas. Caller, caller, who's this? Yeah. What's up, Frankie? Talk to us, man. You got you got pops in the building, man. Papa Snoop. What's up, guys? I just want to say big fan of Snoop's, uh, big fan of the show. Uh, Frankie, a.k.a. Spanky the Great. Much love and respect to you guys, and uh, have a blessed night. All right, brother. All right, thank, man, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. You want to say he supports. Yeah, yeah. So when when is uh, your West Side Riders going to be released, and where can people actually find uh, the music? At? Goto's. That's Goto's. May twenty May twenty six. On, on, on all platforms or what? Okay, okay. What do you do? Just type in West Side Riders or what? But now return 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 to the West Side Riders. Right. It's done. You heard it already. It was out, but it, but, but it, didn't get the it didn't get the promotion. It didn't get all that stuff that, that, it, that it was supposed to get, huh? Let him jump on here real quick, boo. Uh-huh. Let him jump on here real quick. <laughs> take, your, take your beer with you. Take your beer with you. <laughs> all right, let me see. I, I wish we had a bottle of wine opener. Caller, caller, who's this? I do have a bottle opener. Caller, caller, who's this? Talk to us, brother. What's up, Reno, Nevada? Wanted to give you guys a big shout out, man. Been supporting for a while and just proud of all three of you guys there, man. And just wanted to let Snoop Dad know that, you know, the Hispanics are supporting him for years and will continue to support. That's right. Thank brother. you, Gil, for accepting the call. You guys have a great day. For sure. You too, my man. Yeah. And that's one thing that, that, that I do want to reiterate to you, Pops, that 
as far as the Rasta, the man, we love Snoop Dogg, man. Thank Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg has been part of our life pretty much since that beginning with the mm. with 91 all that i remember me personally i got out of jail i think it was 92 mm. no 93 mm. i was in jail 91 92 i heard a little bit of it in 93 i get out and my brother says listen to this in the i rock and this this i'm like whoa it was it was it was just something new mm. that had never been heard before mm. and i appreciate that let me see what yeah. we got caller 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 who's this what's going on brother talk to us Hey, uh, I just wanted to know uh, where uh, Snoop Dad, where is he from originally? His, his accent says the boo 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 da doo boo doo. I don't know where. I don't know, Pops. Is that Dallas? Where is that? I said, country, very country accent. I don't know where, where, where that's from. You didn't catch the beginning of the live, did you? No, I didn't. Okay, let him know, Pops, where are you originally from? I'm, I'm from uh, Magnolia, Mississippi, man. There you go, baby. Uh, I, I, uh, 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 Magnolia, Mississippi is at the very bottom of uh, Mississippi. Uh, eight miles from Kimball, Louisiana, and 45 minutes from New Orleans, man. You got the whole mixture in here. Right, right. And how did Gold Toes get his name? I couldn't tell you. The Gold Toes? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> man, off the off the gold Dayton's on them cars, off the Lolo's, man. <laughs> in front of my house, I used to have all my cars that had Dayton rims on them, so they all go in. So, uh, Coog, nothing, ball here, Rick from out of San Francisco, California, named me Gold Toes. Get- oh, okay, yeah, I like uh, I like the 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 GT the the necklace you got on. That's yeah. right. I like the GT. I appreciate. I, I pre- um, appreciate the phone call, brother. Thank you. All right, bye bye. So, Westside Riders, man, uh, it, it actually um, it did get promotions, but it didn't get the full throttle, and it didn't stay on the shelf due to uh, some complications they have between right. Papa Snoop and the other CEO. And it really so it wasn't able to last out there forever to to keep replenishing and restocking right uh, uh, the stores. Well, you didn't get the promotion. You know everybody saying? didn't know. It, no, the it, promotion was deep. No, it, really, no, it came out with a bang. But the, I, I can't remember what, what year did it come out in. Give us a, give us a second caller. I think November ninety eight. It was like right after seventeen reasons eighteen with a bull. So ninety eight. I was in jail ninety eight. So maybe that's right. Right. They had a calendar. You know, shout out an RIP. Rest in peace. Frank Carrera, he had a lot to do. To color, color, who's this? Uh, showcase Magazine. Yeah, Showcase. Color, color. Got to tell you something. What's going on, brother? Talk to us. What's up? Man, uh, Uncle, you know, Pop Snoop, how you how you maintain so young, man? Man. Uh, man. <laughs> I get my rest, man. I believe in God. That's right, brother. That's right. What, what's the, uh, you, you eat free or you you careful what you eat? What do I eat? Uh, I, I eat uh, a lot of vegan food. I eat a lot of veggies. Uh, apples, oranges, peanuts, and all that kind of stuff, man. And a Corona with the lime. And Corona with the lime. <laughs> That's right, Corona to cure the Corona. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. All right, brother. Thanks, all right, all right. Thanks, thanks Much luck to the Rata. You got to take care, man. Thank you, brother. This all is right. the Northeast. That's all right. right, thanks, man. All right, all right. Yeah, you, you know, uh, we, we, we met each other earlier, and anybody who, who meets uh, Papa Snoop, will realize where a lot of Snoop Dogg swag is from. Where a lot of Snoop <laughs> No, straight up. It, it, it's not something that you can sit there and say, nah, that ain't Snoop Dogg's dad. You like, no, but the guy looks just like him. Like, this is Snoop when he's 74 years old. Yeah. If he's lucky. <laughs> if he's lucky enough to get that old and be that hey, be like that. That's exactly how you are. And, and yeah. I love it, dude. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I, I love it. So so um what's up, Toes man? Man, I'm good, man. I'm just I'm happy that uh me and Papa Snoop, we've been chopping it up for like I want to say three, four months. You know what I'm saying? We talk damn near once a day. 
You know what I mean? And uh, we got, you know, like I said, we met through a mutual friend of mine. And after that, it's like peanut butter and jelly, man. You know what I'm saying? We make things happen. And on the business aspect, you know, he was able to uh, 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 let me open up to him about the business aspect right. of things. And, 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 and that's how the, this is just one compilation that, uh, you know, he, he that we're bringing back to life. But there's other things. We got Wes in the building and I'm bringing Wes. That's right. And, and this is an artist that he has an interest in and he was going to be managing and, um, you know, uh, bringing him to the forefront. And Wes is from where? Wes is actually from Texas. H-Town, yeah. baby? Nah, he was. Uh, Texarkana. Okay, okay. You know, he, he, he might be our next interview. Oh, he's tight, too. He, he got something. I'm done with that. Matter of fact, I had him and Little Mondo uh, out of San Francisco together, man. And I, I see big things happening. You heard him yeah, today he, in the yeah, studio. Yeah, great voice, You man. know what I'm saying? So we got two, uh, you know, young black and brown brothers that's going to, you know. Caller, caller, who's this? Collab. Is he still there? Yeah, first, I want to say my name is Miguel, and it's an honor and a privilege Miguel, uh, to it? talk to... Talk to us, Miguel. Hey, hey, I want to say it's an honor and privilege to talk to you guys, man. Um, Thank you. Especially you, Miguel. You've been doing a lot of hard work, man. Um, I have one question for Snoop's dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Papa Snoop. Yeah, yeah man. Not- hey, like I said, it's a, it's a privilege to actually get a chance to talk to you, man. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you... Did you ever get a chance to like get any tattoos, or how do you feel about them? No, nah, man, man, I love tattoos, man. I'm just dark complexion, and, and mine won't show up. Now, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah, my if I got one right now, you never see it. It's <laughs> a great answer. It's a true answer. All right, Miguel, you get your answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was asking because uh, was it called Mr. Cartoon Tattooed uh, Snoop Dogg? I think he tattooed Nate Dogg on him, right? I don't know. Yeah, Nate, don't know yeah, yeah, that. yeah. He tattooed Nate, uh, Nate Dogg on him. I think Warren G did too. That's right. Yeah, they was boys, yeah. man. They yeah, had a group right. called Two One Three back in the day. Yeah, for sure. We all remember mm-hmm. that. Hey, thanks for the phone call, Miguel. You gotta... All right, thank you, guys. Thank uh, you, brother. How's going? All right, we're gonna stop the phone calls right there with Miguel. Yeah, Miguel always calls and he has one sided here. I don't know if he's, I don't know if the feds, but I. Uh, this is historic, brother. This is great. I mean, I I was just so excited to talk about. At first, I was like, "Snoop talks that." Did you Did you think I was bullshit? No, I no. This okay. Let me keep. I got something. Let for me you. keep it real. Every let, once in a while, I call. Mm, I call him. I'm let, trying to put the plan yeah. Let together. me let me keep it real. I heard, "Hey, I got Snoop talks that." I said, "Man, he probably got some guy that ain't seen Snoop in fucking thirty years." <laughs> he 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 he's a he's a. I ain't no disrespect to you, pops. I'm like, he probably some deadbeat motherfucker. That, that ain't seen Snoop Dogg in about thirty years. And his came to famous. Yeah, I'm Snoop Dogg's daddy. Is that? Snoop's like, that ain't my daddy. But then I did, I did my homework. I said, oh shit, hell yeah, I want to hear that story because you've been there. Mm-hmm. You've you've been that father figure that so many people in the rap game are missing. You're right, right? I agree. Yeah, yeah. He's he's. Hey, I'm gonna tell you. He's 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 what he's an example of what it should be. Yes, humble, inviting, but he's strict. He ain't gonna just let you play him. But you see that when you speak. To well, him. he's 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 an old school brother. He's an old school brother that been there, done that. What was raised by his daddy correctly, and my mom. And you, that was the next one. And your mama correctly. Mm. Uh, how is your relationship now with uh? Or is Snoop Dogg's mom still? She passed away. No, she passed away almost two years ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. How, how was your relationship before she passed? Were you guys? Like, no, 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 we have always been loved one another for life. Really? Yeah, that's, that's, that's my that's she let everybody know that that was my first love, Vernell. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's very important. Mm-hmm. And, and before we go, I want to ask you that. How important is a family 
in, for raising kids as far as both parents. Not, have, not necessarily being married, but being there for their kids. Well, here's the deal. Me and Bella have always, always had the chemistry. You know, like I said, you know, it's always that one girl you're going to love, right? Yes. And she was, she was the one. And we, had, we enjoyed our grandkids together, okay, from kids, okay? And she, the thing that broke my heart, she had a birthday party. She turned 70 years old, right? And the next day, she had a she had a, she had a heart attack. The next day, the next day, man. And uh, me and Stoop, with me and Stoop, and, and his brothers would go out there on Sundays. Cause she was she was the minister, right? Right. And she was off in the church, and we always go out to the, to the nursing home and have church with her. But what broke my heart, she was just laying there, man. And I cried inside. And the day when Stoop brought her to the compound to, to view for people to, to view about it, believe it or not, this is how much I I, le- I, I was in love with her. Got you. I was feeling all right. When I seen nobody, stupid tell you, my brother will tell you. I threw up all day long. Mm-hmm. Half the night, my grandson's dog popping. Grandpa, you must have been in love. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I got sick. I was sick all day and half the night. Okay? I was a piece of me. Cause she, it's like a piece of me went with her. Right. I never felt that bad in my life, man. I threw up all day and half the night. I couldn't it stop. It, 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 it hit me it hard, man. I ain't going to lie to you. Yeah. It still hit me today because when I walk in my house in Georgia, I got a picture right there when I walk up my stairs, right there in my fireplace. And I always tell her I love her. God that was my first love, man. God but I mean, bless you on yeah, her. we never was married, but like I said, that was the only woman I really, really love. Love, man. Just God that simple, man. Guys, yeah, I think I think that's the perfect note to leave it at. Uh, mm. You can tell your 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 uh, your shout outs over there, pops. Let them know. Let, let the haters know where they can find you. Let them know what's going on over there, pops. To all the haters, pop is pop. Pops to entertainment. To all the people who love me. That know me, you know I keep it real. I want to shout out, send a shout out to all of the, uh, my coworkers at the post office in Detroit and LA, and I want to send out a, a shout out to Dr. Dre, Warren G, all the guys who got me to where I am. Uh, whether you know it or not, I was a fly, fly on the wall, and just been around you guys. Yo, you guys talking to talking the music business. I've been in the background for 30, 33 and a half years, but as you know, I'm not the type of guy that. that, that Gonna be out there saying I'm Stoop Dog's father, trying to glorify myself. I can tell a lot of people, Stoop, that's what he do. That's right. Okay, I'm retired. I enjoy my grandkids. I'm just glad that he told he did what I told him to do. Do better than me. Mm. Don't be like me. Be better than me. He did that. I love it. And that's what every father should, should do for their kids. Yes, sir. Tell your kids to be better than you. Don't do what I do. Do what I say. Do you'll be all right. That's right. That's what I told Stoop. And here we are. Man, with that, take us to black. Man, I can't say it to beat Papa that. Thank Stoop. you, man. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man.